You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast for the week of, I always get this wrong, I'm going to say February 19th, 2012. That's a stab in the dark. Yeah, I think you're close. close. I think that was Sunday, yeah. Okay, so I'm in the neighborhood. Add three to that to make it February 20th, no, four, whatever. It's late February. That's all you need to know. Uh, My name is Tom Chick. And I want you to know this week, my game of the week is not Guild Wars. Oh, uh, I'm uh, Jason McMaster, and my game of the week is not Alan Wake in any form. And Jeff Atwood has missed his cue. I I missed my cue. Yeah, we're now... I'm new (laughs) We're going to do take two. So, Jeff, here we go. Lights, action camera mcmaster give give him his cue go <laughs> my game of the week is not alan wake and my name is jeff atwood and my game of the week or should i say what it's not or should i say what it actually is no don't don't give away no, the no, real no, one no, yet no, God, yeah, that God, would be no. a spoiler jeff save that for i'd later. never pick alan wake i mean okay <laughs> <laughs> my game of the week is uh not saints row three. Oh. Mm, I'm not sure how I feel about that, but you know what? We'll accept it. Jeff, I am going to assume you are not, you don't have a lot of experience, like, treading the boards. <laughs> just, what do you mean? I'm just saying that because you, you missed your cue kind of twice. I feel like, uh, as a guy who's done acting before, I feel like if I was having to be on stage with Jeff Atwood and kept missing his cues, I would have to throw a diva fit to the director and say something like, I can't work with this guy, and then I would storm off stage and sulk in my dressing room. Well, I've actually done a lot of podcasts, but we did, like, cold starts. We would just start recording, so it was much more organic. There wasn't quite as much stagecraft involved. Yeah, no, we have a band. We had had Audio Slave show up to play for us. There's the fellows over there in the band. Thanks, guys. I like the idea of stagecraft being associated with the Quarter to Three podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's just, you know, people talking for the most part. Exactly. Sure. Sure. Speaking of which... Jeff Atwood, you are known by another name. Uh, we are we have pledged to try not to call you that name while we record, uh, but I know it's in the back of everyone's head. Why don't you tell us what name you is your online persona and where on earth does it come from and what does it mean? Uh, so Wumpus, and that's I don't remember when I settled on that, but it, it's from a really early computer game, which I like the connotations of that. And actually a very boring computer game. If you ever played Hunt the Wumpus, it's like the most boring game. <laughs> I don't know who gets excited by a game of Hunt the Wumpus. It's mostly a part of computing history at this point. It's a very simple game uh, involving a complicated map that you have to sort of figure out where the Wumpus is. You have these two arrows. There's bottomless pits. There's bats that can teleport you from place to place. I'm actually making it sound much more exciting than it actually is. You know, no, I think it sounds terrible. Like when you, when yeah. you say things like it, that, I'm like, it, it does, yeah. Now, Jeff, I'd actually thought that a Wumpus was from Mule. Am I wrong? No, that would have been a later usage. If you look back at the ah. actual Hunt the Wumpus, it's from like 1972, really, really early. So they might have inherited it from there, but it was, and I think it was just a, um, as far as I can tell, just a made-up creation of the the programmer. But what I like about the Wumpus is, you know, it's this cranky animal that you just never really see, and when you do see, you know, it's it's not good. <laughs> and you're constantly trying to, and I just like that because to me, I'm a little cranky in person. <laughs> so... Well. That works for me. You say that, Jeff, but in the the few moments that we've spoken, uh, I am not. I'm going to need some proof that you actually are 
Wumpus, because as a poster, Wumpus is, he can be sort of cranky and, and emphatic, and that's fine. I mean, that's part of his charm. But this fellow that we have on the podcast who's claiming to be Jeff Atwood sounds to me very good-natured. Well, sure. I mean, that is hard to believe. I, I mean, yeah. I think there's <laughs> facets of personality that you're capturing you know, uh, online. And and for me, like, well, I don't know how much you want to talk about quarter to three and stuff like that, but uh, I, I haven't actually been able to participate much in quarter to three. I used to participate heavily in, gosh, like 2000, 2003. Um, oh, I remember. Yeah, all the time. I was really heavy. And then I yeah. came back, and I really wasn't participating much at all. There were sort of little pet topics that I liked, mm-hmm. mostly the Guitar Hero debacle that I could talk about, but probably shouldn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I haven't had as much, you know, time to participate there. Um, you have had your hands full, it sounds like, lately. Yeah, definitely. Because and not, not like playing Skyrim or anything like that. Like with, <laughs> with pretty legitimate, intensive pursuits, it sounds like. Yes, yes. So one thing I actually want to talk about, can I can I actually reveal what my game of the week is? No, good lord, no. Not yet. Okay. Whoops. Jeez. I know, gosh. Stick to the format, man. <laughs> God. In as much as we don't have a very strict format, but what little format we do have, we cling to tenaciously. We hold it dear. <laughs> Uh, well, before we uh, before we get into games, I am curious about what you've been doing lately. What are the names of the two things you've been doing lately? Oh, um, wait. What? <laughs> but never mind. Sorry. Go ahead. You'll, you'll see, McMaster. You'll see. So All the two right. things that I've I've been doing lately are uh, Stack Overflow and uh, Stack Exchange. Oh, you're terrible at this. I hope your wife does not hear this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what are the other two things that were delivered in a pair? <laughs> that you've been oh. busy with lately. Yeah. You know, I should mention that we had twin baby girls. <laughs> wow, you totally set me up, and I completely that. fluffed that, didn't I? That was not good. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yes. So, yeah, what well, are these baby now, girls? The, yeah. the babies are not doing a whole lot because it takes a while for them to sort of wake up. Mm-hmm. But yes, we are feeding and watering the babies at the moment. <laughs> uh, and so did you know twins were on the way, or was this a surprise? Uh, we, all the... Reproductive stuff for us is all science. It doesn't work the normal way. So, yes, we sort of knew it was coming because we were doing the science to make it happen. Uh, what we didn't know is that we were going to get two back, right? Because you mm-hmm. put in a certain amount, and you don't know how many you're going to get at the end. But in this case, we put two in and got two out. So that was a little bit of a surprise. But I was very pleasantly surprised uh, to learn that they're girls because we have a boy, and, and I love him to death. But, he's man, he's a ball of just energy, you know? And I was like, okay, two more giant balls of energy is going to be... I don't know if I can do that. So luckily, I'm hoping that the girls are a little more, you know, uh, perspective. Right. And I think all three of us on this podcast have firsthand experience of what it's like to be a little boy and what a huge handful that must be. So congratulations, Jeff, on the two girls. Uh, Yeah, thank you. How old is your son? He's three. He's just about three. How does a three-year-old react to the sudden arrival of news that he is officially outnumbered? You know... (laughs) I had this idea that, you know, when you're a new human being, everything is amazing, right? Because you've never seen anything, and everything is just incredible. And I had this idea that, you know, he the first time he tasted chocolate would be this ma- magical, amazing. <laughs> and and well, let me just explain my rationale for this. What happens is like the first time he tasted chocolate, it's like, wow, this tastes amazing. But everything tastes amazing, right? Like I've never tasted anything. Ah. So everything he sees is, even if it's, um, you know incredible is is just you know yet another amazing thing that happens to him so i think he's still in that phase so we had a long time to explain to him and you know tell him it was coming and try our best to you know paint the picture for him 
and he's doing really well with it so far. He seems to like his sisters, and there hasn't been any, you know, behavioral strangeness. So, can I just say, Jeff, that phenomenon you're describing for why your son thinks chocolate is as awesome as, say, broccoli, is I think the same reason that kids love those Transformers movies. <laughs> I'm just going to float that out there. Yeah. Uh, now, your wife is, you mentioned, a scientist. A, a, you, like, a, if, she was, if she was a scientist and she was to pick her class, because that's part of what scientists do in scientist school, I believe, her class would be biotech, is that correct? Yeah, she's a biologist. That sounds awesome. Can you tell us anything, without revealing national secrets or anything, what kind of science does your wife do? Well, actually, I can, because my wife was very fortunate. Um, we, we were living in North Carolina. She was fin- finishing her Ph.D. there. And uh, she made the decision that she didn't want to be in academia in, anymore because mm-hmm. academia can be weird. It's a prestige-based system, and it's, really just, it's almost like a, a family business. Somebody's talking about a family business on quarter three. It's very much like that. If you, if you get under somebody that's sane and reasonable, it can be a great experience. Uh, but there's not the normal filters in academia that sort of filter out the, the sort of really mean people sure. mm-hmm. <laughs> that you t- kind of get, tend to get in business. Uh, so she had decided to transition out of that. And there's this weird catch-22 of the people out in academia, the scientists in academia, don't trust the scientists in industry, like at all, like they kind of hate them. <laughs> and the scientists in industry don't trust and hate the scientists in academia because, you know, they're working on abstract problems that don't matter to anyone and not solving any real-world problems. And the, the ones that work in industry have completely sold out of course you know and they're doing just work for the man for it's not advancing the common science good so it's really difficult to make that transition because you have this catch-22 of like do you have any industry experience and the answer is obviously no because if mm-hmm. you're working in academics it's like well how do you cross the chasm of getting <laughs> industry experience when you don't have any and that's always a requirement but luckily she did uh and even better the company uh, i can name it because it's all public uh, plexicon in berkeley uh actually developed a, a melanoma drug that is one of the ah. very few drugs that can actually treat melanoma, which is, you know, of course, cancer of the skin. Right. And so I can literally say that my wife is, has, has cured cancer. <laughs> and I have not at all. You know, I've done a lot of stuff, but I have completely failed. <laughs> that, is, that is a tough act to, to follow, Jeff, I have to say. Yeah, you might be upstaged by your spouse for a very long time to come. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but in a way too, it's, you know, you never know with biotech firms, it's, it's just science is hard, right? You never know what drugs are going to work. You have to go through all the, the, the animal trials, the human trials. It's a very, very long process to make any drug and it's kind of a crapshoot. So it's almost like she was drafted into the NBA, you know? <laughs> no, seriously, she worked on a drug. I mean, she picked the company, so she did one thing right, but it's hard to predict what's going to be successful and very, very few drugs make it. Like out at the end and are successful, so it's it's probably like a once in a lifetime thing. To be honest, like uh, if you're very lucky as a scientist, you might work on you know five or six drugs that go to market. But it's now it's, you it's both both you and your wife. I know you have a background in coding, and I want to get into that in a little bit. And I think McMaster also does a, uh, dabbles in that, and so you guys can have a great time talking to each other. And I'll listen. But before we do that, uh, you and your wife seem like you uh, have very specific technical pursuits. Um, what is di- what can you talk about with your wife at dinner? What is that like? <laughs> uh, I you know I don't under I don't know much about her science. Like we we talk about it in sort of general terms. She tells me what's going on and stuff, mm-hmm. but we don't we don't really have super technical conversations. I would say actually the stuff I do around building you know Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange and these these uh, the Q and A sites, which are kind of a social network of sorts, mm-hmm. I think are, are a little bit easier to talk about than, than her science stuff. 
for sure. So a lot of times, I remember when I was building Stack Overflow initially in 2008, we would go on these long walks. This was before we had Henry, and we'd just talk about like how things would work and like how things should work and sound things. You know, it was just nice to have a sounding board to talk about that stuff. Because it's just about people, you know. It's about like how people work. <laughs> That's kind of the ultimate game. Is like figuring out how the people work. Now you say it when you when you say that you're talking about Stack Overflow, this idea of a question and answer kind of website. Is that the idea? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. That yep. was the concept. So, so in 2005, I moved to California from North Carolina and got a job with Vertigo Software, which is a they were a boutique developer of Microsoft sort of solutions. And then uh, the Coding Horror blog was getting very very popular in that time frame to the point that it was like, wow, this is like. This humongous ball of energy. Like, I don't know what to do with this, but it became increasingly silly for me to go to my day job because it was like, okay, I can go to my job. I can influence 10 people, right? If I'm lucky in a day, right? Mm -hmm. Or I could go on my blog and write something that, you know, 100,000, I don't remember how much, like, let's just say 50,000. It's more now. 50,000 people will see it process it and maybe act on it. It's like, well, your job starts to seem really quaint at that point, (laughs) right? It's like, am I really doing the right things that are affecting change in the world? And the answer was, well, well, no, I need to, although I loved my job at Vertigo and I'm still very close friends with those guys. It was clear that I needed to do something around this ball of energy I had on my blog, all this attention. It's like, well, let's take this energy and, and make something, you know, like do something that, that, that improves the world. Mm-hmm. And then the big conundrum was like, well, what the hell is that? Like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I felt like, you know, Clark Kent and Superman's like at my job, I was Clark Kent. And then I go home and I was like, <laughs> Superman, the blogger that everybody, you know, all the coders were reading. And I was like, how did this happen? First of all. And then second, like, well, what does Superman do? You know, fight crime? Where do you go? What do you do? Now, what were you writing on the blog? Because I know that as a layman like me, like, didn't seem like there was much there for me, but there was definitely specific stuff there for a specific audience. Uh, tell us, layman, what you were doing on Coding Horror. Well, it, it kind of evolved a little bit over time. I mean, early on, I had a, a, a goal of writing sort of one blog entry every day. And over time, that kind of fell by the wayside because I started to enjoy writing longer pieces. And once you have that much attention, you don't want to really waste it on like little trivialities, right? Like, oh, here's my little blog post for today, you know? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be something substantive, uh, but it's it's mostly you know I would say geeks slash techies. I mean, not all my posts are super super technical. <laughs> like I have one about just being a parent that went like almost viral actually because it got really popular. I don't know if you read that one. Um, it's just really about geek culture more than anything else. I mean, it's it, and I've really moved away from all of the hardcore coding topics because you're right. It's like writing about that really limits the audience. It's like I could. But that's why I created Stack Overflow, so I could have a place to put, you know, super technical stuff that would be of interest to a lot of programmers. But, you know, and, and my blog is more about touching on larger issues that are still geeky, right? Like mm-hmm. people who sit in front of a computer for by choice for a large part of the day, that's the audience, right? Right. And I'm sure you know uh, those people. <laughs> and now that you have mentioned that you're not doing coding horror much, or or is it at all because you, you're you know, you've, you've got your new family situation, you're very busy there. Uh, is Coding Horror still around? Are other people working on it? What's what's the fate of Coding Horror at this point? Well, actually, I'm going to do a little bit more, because what happened is, because we had the two girls and we had Henry, I made the conscious choice to sort of back away from Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange, although I was, you know, the co-founder and I still have a lot of stock in the company, and both literal and figurative, um, that I could do this thing where I could take just like six months off and do essentially nothing. But that doesn't mean literally nothing because that's like boring, man. Um, <laughs> I'm going to probably be actually writing a little bit more on the blog because 
you know, writing for me is just a way of under processing what's happening to me and processing what's happening to the world. And I'm sure as a writer, you know exactly how this feels. Mm-hmm. That a lot of times I haven't really understood something until I've, you know, written about it and explained it to other people and sort of made sense of it myself. So. Sure. If anything, I'll be doing more blogging because while I was working, uh, you know, I was CTO and co-founder of Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange. That was hard work, man. I mean, running a company, like, officially, once you start having 5, 10, 15 people working there is, is not a trivial amount of work. Yes, um, I agree. Steering the ship. <laughs> yes. oh, yeah, McMaster is also driving a ship. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, now, McMaster, you know about Stack Overflow, Stack oh, Exchange, yeah. and all, all that stuff. Uh, Absolutely. Now, how did you find it? Actually, uh, just searching for questions about code I was having. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's uh, actually a site I go to quite a bit. Uh, um, and so, Jeff, for again, for layman, how would you explain what What's your account, Jason? I'm going to delete it right now. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I wouldn't do that to you. Wait Man. until you find out what his game of the week is, and then based on that, <laughs> decide whether or not he can keep his account. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, Jeff, again, in layman's terms, what are Stack Overflow and Stack Exchange? Well, let, let me first explain the problem. Mm-hmm. So, one of the when I was trying to figure out what to do with this ball of energy that was my blog, I started reaching out to people that I respected online and, and, and emailing them and just seeing if they would talk to me and try to help me figure out what I would do. And one of the people I would con- I contacted is Joel Spolsky, who's a very another very well known uh, figure in programming circles, um, who, who I respect a lot. Um, and he had this idea um, that there's this site. Experts Exchange or yep. Expert Sex Change. Tom, are you familiar with the site? I know Expert Sex Change. I don't know Experts Exchange. I am very funny, familiar funny with question. Expert Exchange. <laughs> so they are a Q&A site, but the way they yep. work was very slimy used car sales. They will show the results to Google, so that Google indexes it. So mm-hmm. say you have a question. You're a technical person, assistant mm-hmm. or programmer. You have a question. You type it into Google, press Enter. And you get an Experts Exchange page back, but when you went to the page, you click through. Of course, you want the answer, right? That's why you typed it in the question. Uh, you would see at the top, it was like, okay, here's the question, and then like obfuscated answer. Like literally, it looks like Klingon. You know, it's like, ooh, you can't see the answer. And it's like, sign up here for nine ninety five a month. You can see this answer and many, many more. So it's like the ultimate sort of bait and switch. You know, right. it's like. Uh, the, the, the football on peanuts, you know, pulling it out from under your feet right as you're about to kick the football. And the really slimy part is if you scrolled all the way down, they legally have to show the answer because otherwise Google, that's like a <laughs> violation. Think about it because Google is indexing the answer. Google thinks the answer is there because it is there, right? But they can't right. show it to you, so they have to do this sleight of hand of like, ooh, it's not really here. You know, woo, 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 don't look. And if you scrolled all the way down to the bottom, as long as you came from Google, that was the other trick. They looked at the refer, so if you came from Google, they would do this little trick. <laughs> I so almost, anyway, I almost have to respect that, Jeff. Like, that's slimy. No, it, it's clever. Don't even, yeah, I mean, absolutely, it's clever. It's kind of they, shitty. They're probably one of the most hated websites in the world. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I'm on the technical crowd. Like, one of the things that made it very easy for us, and one of the things I learned from business is, like, when you start a business, you your enemy is your best friend. If you have somebody that's doing something really bad, you know, and you can oh, yeah. as an alternative to them, they are your new best friend. You should love these people because they are making your job so easy. We had so many people that when I said, okay, we're, what we're doing is like experts exchange, but without all the evil, they were like, A, oh, my God, that's awesome, and B, like, I love you guys, right? Well, because it sounds they, like using your football analogy, it's like a no-brainer. If somebody keeps pulling the football away, then stand next to that person and leave the football there, and people will come kick your football. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Uh, so it, it made it very easy to explain, A, what we do, and B, mm-hmm. get people to sort of rally around it. Um, and also, Joel and I had these really big audiences of programmers, right, that we were pointing at this thing, saying, oh, look, we built this thing. And the, the thing we built, I think, was fundamentally good. It wasn't like we built crap and said, because we're famous, we made it work. You know, it's like the Lady Gaga effect or whatever. Uh, but it doesn't hurt, obviously. Uh, it's like people say about digital music distribution. You know, step one of digital music distribution, be Radiohead, right? And then step two, <laughs> yeah, that is part one, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, 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 Jeff, it sounds like you have a uh, a background in uh, well, because you're into coding, uh, and also because of something you did for me personally once, and I'm about to mention. It sounds like you really uh, enjoy sort of like tinkering with things and uh, the intricacies of. I'm assuming like software code and how the guitars and Guitar Hero work. Um, where does that come from? Did you grow up that way? Uh, I think I, I heard it described. So I wrote a sort of a, a farewell post on my blog that got also a lot of traction. A lot of people saw it. And I was reading some of the commentary that popped up around it everywhere because, you know, of course, everybody loves ego surfing. Plus, I was curious what kind of reception this would get mm-hmm. that I was basically leaving to spend time with my family. And one of the comments that somebody made was, when Jeff Atwood does something, he do, I get the impression that he does the shit out of it. <laughs> and that really is true because what happens is like I get into something and I just friggin' obsess about it, right? Like it's it's like my everything. You know, it's like I get up and I think about it all day long. I'm like researching the internet. I'm, I'm finding every blog you can find about it. I'm like reading every possible book you can read about it. And and that is true. I don't know where that comes from, but it's also why I was kind of good as a blogger because I would pick some topic and I would research the shit out of it, you know? And nobody does this, really. Like, people are too happy to just parrot, oh, look, Apple released a new iPhone, right? <laughs> like, it's just copy-paste reporting, right? Nobody actually does research, or very few people do. So one easy way to set yourself apart, if you want to be a blogger or a writer, is just do some damn research, man. Like, go to original sources, like, dig up, like, original stuff that's going on. And Sounds like you're basically telling people, don't settle for Wikipedia. Well, Wikipedia is a source, but what what sets somebody like this apart is like you would go to Wikipedia and read the original sources, not click just click the links at the bottom of the Wikipedia entry. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Uh, yeah. Well, Jeff, you did for me what is maybe one of the two nicest things anyone at Quarter to Three has ever done for me, and you you sent me a tailor made. I don't know about tailor made because you took the the basic components of a guitar hero one of those gibson controllers that feels ridiculously tiny in my hands right now i don't know if anybody (laughs) still uses these things but you apparently doctored up the insides and the faceplate jeff i'm i suspect you actually used glitter paint to make a faceplate so you this is a good example of the type of obsession that i have yeah, why don't you explain what's going on with this? Because I, I, it was you were kind enough to at one point contact me and say, "Hey, what's your mailing address? I want to send you something." And this little custom-made guitar showed up with glitter paint on the front that I love. Uh, what's going on there that you were tinkering around with Guitar Hero guitars? Well, I've always really loved music, but I've always had a like zero musical ability, like beyond zero. Like <laughs> I actually remember this is a true story. We were learning the recorder. You guys remember the recorder? In so, yeah. Like a flute thing. Yes. Yeah. I could not figure out the recorder. I remember sitting there. I very distinctly remember this. They're like, oh, yeah, play the recorder. I was like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just like randomly pushing like little holes on the recorder. And the music teacher would walk around, and I would just pray that she like couldn't tell that I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, yeah, recorder. This is how it works. But I love music, man. I really love music. Like I'm so into music, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, th- so when Guitar Hero hit, I was like, oh, this is 
perfect. This is like somebody me who has no musical ability can like at least get the feeling of knowing what the hell it is right. to make music, right? And I realize it's not the same thing, and people always bitch about it. it's not real music. I understand that, but this is just one level of of interaction above passively listening on your freaking iPod, right? Like at least I'm interacting with the music in a meaningful way, and sometimes with a friend, right? Like with Guitar Hero 2, it was like a two-player experience, and that feels awesome, right? Like playing with your friends, you're all hitting the rhythm and just having fun playing and singing the song. And it's just, you know, it's about experiencing the music. So I really got into it. Like, I, I got obsessed with it. And one of the things I got obsessed with was, was like, real guitars. Real mm-hmm. guitars have these really complicated finishes that I hadn't seen before, like the the, the metallic flake and the sparkle finishes, mm-hmm. where there's actually little bits of, um, I don't know if it's actually metal, but it looks like metal underneath. You know, almost like a car paint job, like a really shiny car paint job. Uh, uh, glitter, or like glitter eyeshadow. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, metal flake, I think, is the the technical term. Well, it makes it sound tougher than glitter. Yeah, exactly. It could be, you know, Gary Glitter. That's okay. <laughs> uh, so I became sort of obsessed with, like, wow, I wish I could make my little fake guitars look as awesome as the real guitars. And I, I for some reason, fixated on this, this metal flake paint finish. And I went through months and months of just doing, like, I hesitate to call it science, but, like, really, you know, mad scientist experiments to figure out how I could actually get a finish like this on a plastic you know, faceplate for the guitar. And I finally came up with something that kind of works. And you have basically the first iteration of that that actually worked, that I was actually, oh, my God, this is actually working. Uh, you know, it's producing the effect that I wanted it to produce. And there was no reason for me to do this, of course. This is a completely insane thing to want to do and to spend time on. And now that I have kids, it's, like, comical that I would even have time for that. <laughs> but you know what, Jeff? I have to say, hearing you explain that, I think the first thing that comes to mind for me, your two daughters are going to love you. <laughs> I could just see you wanting to break out the glitter paint and paint guitars. <laughs> That's, they will love that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, are you still a uh, guitar hero slash rock band? I I am. I don't have as much time to play, but I do have the full complement of everything you can possibly imagine that's related to to rock band and guitar hero. I have, of course, the the Mustang guitar, which is the plastic guitar with a hundred and some buttons. That's can you like use that? Guitar. I can do it a little. It's very, very difficult. Yeah, it's a little crazy for me. Have you tried it? Yeah, yeah. It's not. My fingers don't work that way. But it, but it's satisfying in a way that like the five button. I can see why people were getting disenchanted with five button gameplay because after you've done it for a few years, you're like, what's the point of getting really good at Guitar Hero, right? I mean, I guess there never really was a point, but after a few years. The, the truth starts to set in, right? Like, <laughs> I'm mashing five buttons on a guitar. The, mastering the skill isn't doing anything for me in real life, right? But when you pick that up, uh, you realize that, okay, this is a super crazy hard. Like, you think five-button gameplay is hard. This is like driving right. off a cliff into molten lava hard, right? <laughs> on a, off In another galaxy hard. So far beyond the pale, it's not even funny. But if, even if you do it a little, you get that feeling of, like, wow, I've actually mastered, like, this is what it would be like to play a real guitar. This is the same finger motions, the same hand motions that actually produce the right sounds on a real guitar. So it doesn't feel like you're, you know, kind of just wasting away your life on entertainment. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I, but. I will say that um, playing, you know, ha- being able to play regular guitar, uh, you like, it's it's surprising how close some of the songs are. To the hand really? motions, even, even on, on the, the five, five button? button. Yeah, oh. like I, it, when it comes to fretting. Now, I mean, I mean, of course, you're not going to be like making G chords, etc. Right. But like, um, but yeah, when it comes to fretting, sometimes it's pretty close. Um, it, it's really weird. They have to have like some advanced kind of like algorithm that they run that through 
like songs through to pick up beats or whatever. Now, I'll tell you, Tom, one thing I really look forward to, and sadly it takes forever for kids to be old enough to be able to do this, but I would love to have a full rock band band with my actual family. That's like actually a dream of mine. I, but of I have course. to say, yeah, like playing rock band with kids really is a special experience. It's about one of the most awesome things you can do in video gaming. Yeah. Um, I, I, with my luck, I'm sure my kids will just hate rock band and me and music and like be like, no. <laughs> like, you're a geek. We're all going to be jocks. We're going to go outside all the time. That's right. Your son is going to be playing football. Your daughters are going to be uh, scientists like their mom. <laughs> They'll have no time for that foolishness. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, Jeff Atwood, let's pretend that you're going to a desert island. You can bring your copy of Rock Band. You can bring all your instruments. However, you can only bring one song. Oh, God. Oh, God. McMaster, you have to answer this question, too. Uh, what one song, you're only allowed that song, and it has to be in the current catalog, comes with you to the desert island. It will be your only way to play for the decades you're stranded there. Jeff, do you have a pick? Wow, that is that is I an know. existential conundrum. It's really brutal, too. I realize the uh, the ringer that I'm putting you through making you pick this. Uh, but what, what are you going to choose? And you, too. McMaster, do you have a pick? Well, hold on. Let me, yep. Let's yep. talk strategy, McMaster. I mean, we could pick right. a really long song that's kind of hard, so that way it's sort right. of like... Well, yeah, I was thinking, you know, at first something like an Iron Maiden song or something, like so that if it was on Nightmare or whatever, it could, you know, be challenging mm-hmm. for quite some time. But, well, it, uh, it gets down to why you play Rock Band. Like, is it because you want that learning curve, or is it because you're just enjoying that interactive mode of listening to that particular song? Well, I got a better strategy. So I would pick a song, because you can do pro keys, which is awesome. It's like real keyboard. Ah, program. right. Yeah, absolutely. I think you do want to pick a song that's really good on all the instruments. And hmm. one you wouldn't mind hearing a billion times. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's, that's the problem, yeah. All right, oh. I have my pick. What about you guys? Oh, I I need to like look at data, man. I'm, i got to do the science. <laughs> Jeff, um, you have to not be a scientist for this particular thing. This, cannot, this, I, cannot, this is not science. This is art. Picking your song. I just, I don't know. If I have to pick one, uh, you know, what the hell, Limelight by Rush. I'm going to go with, actually, Bohemian Rhapsody, because that is oh, really fun. Uh, hey, that's a good one, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, so- I'm just looking at the track list, basically, and trying to think, like, what did I have the most fun playing? And there, there's just, you cannot not have fun playing Bohemian like, Rhapsody. It other- kind of depends on the instrument, too. Like, you know, there's yeah, a lot that's of... that's really a little fun- weak on some of the instruments. That's true. Yeah, like, see, like, there's a lot of really fun drum songs that might not be necessarily fun for any other instrument, too. Like- I also have to point out that you are on the island alone, so you can't do any of the harmonizing stuff in Bohemian Rhapsody. Not to, you know, not to say that's a bad pick or anything, but I just want to float that out there so you know. So, all right, Jeff, for all time... You are still, well, not all time. You're only going to be on the desert island a few decades. Uh, so for like 20 years, you're stuck with Bohemian Rhapsody. McMaster, you're stuck with Limelight. McMaster, by the way, did you see Role Models with Paul Rudd? No. Wait, wait. Role Models. I know that, like, isn't there? No, no, no. I'm sorry. I love you, man. I love you, man. That's, I yeah, I did see that. Yeah, because I was thinking, why the, that would be two movies with Paul Rudd going on and on about Rush. Yep. So uh, that, that's what that <laughs> made me think of. Uh, right, yeah. My pick. Uh, is uh, Paramore's Misery Business. <laughs> That's a pretty good song. It's an awesome song. I cannot Why listen to that song. Why does anybody go for uh, the electric version? Come on! 
You don't like elect- electric version? I gotta tell you, I used to hate that, and then like the, I started the to like it. Are ridiculous. I like the song. It's just like the drum part just made me want to cry. Like every time I tried to play it, like in the beginning. But that's what I love about this series, though. Is you, you'll pick an artist, and you're like, I don't know if I like that, and you're like, Ah, this song sucks. And then you start to listen to it and play it, and like like take it apart musically. And you're like, Wow, this is actually really good music, yeah. right? Like. And I, I got into, like, uh, the new pornographers. My wife had been into them, strangely enough. And I was like, ah, whatever, they're crap. I don't like Electric Version, it's a stupid song. But then I, like, I started to love it, and, like, I listen to their albums now. Although I will say I only really like that first album, the one with Electric Version on it. I don't really like their newer stuff a whole lot. I, I do have to give uh, Rock Band credit for introducing me to a lot of music I otherwise would have completely missed. Uh, that's one of the great things about it. Yeah. You know, what's funny about Rock Band, actually, is a dude that I grew up with has music on it. And it really, uh, I did not know it for a really long time. Now, but, uh, as one of those Blue but, Star songs, or as a real song? No, no a real one. <laughs> uh, my friend's band, uh, I'll, I'll tell you the story, this is great. So I get a call from my dad, like, six months ago. And uh, he says, uh, yeah, I was talking to Brent the other day, and uh turns out, like, uh, he's in a band. And I'm thinking, oh, well, great. You know, what's he, like, some cover band or something? And he's like, no, I think they're called Mastodon. And I was, <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, nice. <laughs> it's like, because nice. I have, like, a Mastodon CD. I just never looked at, like, you know. <laughs> wow. So, like, yeah, it's like my, my uh, dude I grew up with, uh, Brent Hines, he's the guitarist, lead singer of Mastodon. It just, like, blew my mind. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, I have a so friend fun. of mine who, who moved out here many years ago to do the actor thing in Los Angeles. And uh, he came down from, uh, I, I think, somewhere in, like, rural Washington State. And he'd been down here sort of plugging away at it for a little while. And he was talking to, I think, his mom one day. And his mom was like, well, you know, your third cousin, Jim, is also down there doing the, the actor thing. You should give him a call. And uh, you guys can compare notes. So he got from his mom the phone number for this guy, Jim, who he was distantly related to. And he called Jim one day, and they sort of chatted about, oh, do you have an agent? And Jim had an agent. You know, oh, are you getting much work? And Jim said, yeah, I've gotten a few roles. Uh, And they just chatted a little bit and then went their separate ways. And it was only a few months later that my friend realized he had just spoken to Jim Caviezel, who had been – Good yeah. Lord. <laughs> Who played Jesus in the past. Jesus Christ. Yeah. He was in Thin Red Line. And my friend Ryan had no idea that that was him. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, it's funny you you mentioned Thin Red Line. That is like one of my favorite movies. Are, are you a fan of that? I actually kind of wanted to ask you. That, that was my, so I have uh, around my house, I have movie posters hanging up. Uh, yeah. And each poster is my pick of my favorite movie of that year. And these go back to like, I think, 91. Oh, that's, that's really uh, cool. So I do have in my other office uh, a Thin Red Line movie poster. That was my favorite movie of the year. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I saw that in the theater, and for some reason it like, didn't connect with me. And then like I saw it at home later, and I just fell in love with it. I don't yeah. know what it was. It was a great movie. You know who I bet hates Thin Red Line? A cranky fellow like Wumpus. That's what I'm. I haven't actually seen it. Well, now that you have daughters, you can't be going back seeing old movies like that. I think you missed the window, Jeff. You've got two little babies to take care of, and you can't watch Thin Red Line with them. It's rated R. Really, you know, a friend of mine once said that um, once you have kids, you you try to explain to people like the vacation that they're on (laughs) without kids, (laughs) and there really is some scary truth to that because like you you have fun, but you just do different things. You know, you're not doing necessarily all the things you would choose to do for yourself they're fun in a different way but it is true you don't really appreciate just how much freedom you have oh yeah yeah the the movies you go to in the next 10 years jeff are going to be things like uh 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 
what's that? Hop. You're going to see stuff like that. So. I have gotten into a lot, pretty much every kid's movie and every good animated movie. I try to show, you know, my son, Henry, only good high-def content. <laughs> and I have, you know, I've walked the entire gamut of the Pixar catalog, which I think is mildly overrated. This might be a controversial opinion, but I think Pixar is a little bit overrated based on their um, It depends, like, the, the movie. You know, like, there are some that I think are certainly very overrated, and there's some that I think are just really good. You know, it just kind of depends. I'm, sure, I'm with sure. Jeff, though. I think as a whole, uh, Pixar has done some fantastic work. And one of the few movies that I would count as one of the, the perfect movies, I can think of like six movies I would call perfect, is a Pixar movie. But but since then, I, I think a lot of their stuff has been really erratic. Uh, they've lost some of their talent. When they have someone like Brad Bird come on board, I think their stuff really shines. Uh, but as a whole, I'm with you completely, Jeff. Edward. And I think some of the lesser animated studios, like I thought Megamind was actually quite good. Ouch, um, isn't that a DreamWorks thing? Um, I don't know who the, the studio was. Yeah, I just uh, I see that stuff, and I just think it smacks of Shrek. Uh, but yes. you know what? I haven't seen Megamind, so maybe I should give that a chance. And I also am curious about this uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs thing. That was also I've, really I've heard good stuff about that. Yeah, yeah, the two I would specifically recommend to you, if you're in the mood, are Megamind, which I thought was excellent, and I, I would continue to say is excellent, Okay. Uh, and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which is Freaking brilliant, as far as I'm concerned. I love that movie. I can watch it over and over with Henry. They are now officially, uh, they will go into the Netflix queue. Because I, I ne- it never occurred to me to see Megamind, but if it is Jeff Atwood endorsed, I'm, I'm certainly curious to see it. I I kind of liked that Steve Carell one where he's the evil mastermind. Despicable Me is spottier, yeah. I thought. It's not bad. Sure. It's okay. Yeah. I love that now Jeff Atwood is an authority on like uh, kids' movies, kids much. animated movies. Yeah. <laughs> How was uh, Happy Feet 2? Oh, God, no. Oh, Only the good ones. God. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? So, uh, Jeff, let's segue into some talk about video games. Uh, because, you know what? Here's a, here's a controversial opinion. I don't think Rock Band's a video game. Technically, I know it is, but I just feel I, I play Rock Band for very different reasons than I play other video games. So that's one of my little pet controversial things to say from time to time. We don't have to get into that, but... Let's get into actual video games. Now, what we'll do on this podcast, we're going to each choose a game of the week and a news story of the week. But to determine which we do first and in and, and which order we go, Jeff, you and I are going to play a game called Stump Jason McMaster. Oh, oh, God. We each get a chance to ask him a question. If either of us stumps him, we get to call the order for the rest of the podcast. If we can't stump him, Jason McMaster calls the order. So the question we ask him has to relate to coding. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to get murdered. because You, like, might, you uh, might. Yeah. Now, I will be going first. I know very little about coding. When I think of coding, for instance, I think of uh, that the, the, what was Enigma, the Enigma machine, that thing that we, the Americans captured from a German submarine. You know, a brave Americans like Matthew McConaughey, uh, Harvey oh, Pitt, God. Uh, bon Jovi, Bon Jovi, they were on a submarine, and they captured the Enigma machine from the Nazis, and they broke the Nazi code. So is that's that U571? Yeah, exactly, that movie. That, to me, that is movie a, is god-awful. Well, right, but it's a document, it's history. That's what really well, happened in World War II. I, I like that everybody on, in the crew was like either a square or they were dressed like Fonzie. Like a good while before anyone should have been dressed like Fonzie. Now I'm but, sure that a lot of research went into that movie, Master. Because, I'm you know, sure it did. We don't have any way of knowing when people actually started dressing like Fonzie because you know they didn't. Dos crap. Yeah. 
Uh, I actually have no, I don't I don't care for U five seven one. But by the way, one of the liberties that U five seven one takes with history is that it was actually a British that like that actually happened. Yeah. We recovered the Enigma machine from a submarine, but it was a British submarine that did it. So we make U five seven one, and we're like, yeah, we're gonna just pretend the Americans did that. That's cool. Yeah, but you know what? After years of the British like stealing. American hero, like having British actors play American heroes like like Batman and James Bond, I think it's only fair. Oh, yeah. No, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's fair, too. So anyway, that is, with the understanding that when I think of coding, that's what I think of. I think McMaster is not going to have any problem with my attempt to stump him, because I don't think that's really <laughs> what coding is. So here you go, McMaster. I go first, then Jeff goes. If neither of us can stump you, you're in charge. Here we go, McMaster. Here's my question for you. What is ROT13? That's R-O-T-1-3. That's not bad. I, I actually don't know. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Wow. Jeff, you, you know fired. That, you fired, I, McMaster. I think that's uh, like an Internet-savvy question than a code. code. That's, a, that's a good one, actually, Tom, because that's a little bit Cody. And it might predate, like, like McMaster thinks younger than me, so it no, might. That's a, that's a good one. All right. So right, you're hired, and McMaster, you're fired. <laughs> Good. I didn't I'd wanna. Uh, what it is, McMaster, it was like an old way. It's like a pre-spoiler tag, spoiler tag. Like, it, I think on Usenet, I don't know if it predates. Oh, yeah. See, you know, I was never into you, Usenet. Yeah, you, you just change the ASCII code by 13. Yeah, you just shift it to the opposite it, yeah. letter in the alphabet. Like, if the alphabet were oh. 26 digits, uh, 26 places on it, you would just shift all the characters, 13 characters. I think ROT, actually, I don't know if it's an acronym, it's capital R-O-T, but I think it just means rotate. It could be wrong. It is. I just looked. It's rotate alphabet 13 places. Yeah. Okay. So, Jeff, what would your <sighs> question have been? I was going to ask him if he knew about the FizzBuzz test. That's oh, it. that sounds like something from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I love it. Uh, probably not. So, uh, okay. I, well, I, I, well, the first question was whether he knew it, which there isn't really right or wrong. I was just curious if he knew it. The actual test is – and you could – you don't have to write the code because there's really only one operation you need to know to do this. But I wrote one of my most popular blog entries was about the problem with interviewing programmers is a lot of so-called programmers walk into the interview and actually can't even program a little. Like, I know this sounds sure. really crazy, <laughs> but like I kept hearing this all the time and like it keeps coming up that people just walk into job interviews as programmers and they, they have no real programming skills. I don't know how this happens, but one way that, one proposal to, to fix this was to say, give them a really basic coding exercise like almost immediately. Just, just you know, Tom, this oh, would be like sure. if you were hiring truck drivers and they couldn't they couldn't tell you where the gas pedal was or <laughs> how to shift gears. I mean, literally, that's that. Like you the can't way. like they can't write a loop. They can't yeah. you know, create a so, function. They can't call a function. Something like that. Yeah. It's yeah. Funny. So you start with a really easy test just to save everybody time because people will walk in like having no skills at all. And right. somehow they're getting through some of these interviews. So here it is. So write a program that prints the numbers from 1 to 100. But for multiples of 3, print fizz instead of the number. And for multiples of 5, print buzz instead of the number. And for things that are multiples of both 3 and 5, print fizz buzz. So you print the numbers, but if it's a multiple of 3, print fizz. If it's a multiple of 5, print buzz. If it's a multiple of both 3 and 5, print fizz buzz. So, McMaster, what is the primary operation you want here? Well, I mean, you'd want a loop. Well, obviously a loop. That's a given. Sure. And then you would want to uh, divide by uh, the number by three. and then Which well, is mathematically known as? Uh, division. 
Right, but the remainder. <laughs> the, what's the uh, thing that gives you the remainder? Um, I don't know, man. Carrying know. over. <laughs> Carry over the remainder. Yeah, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm sorry. Both McMaster and I have failed the FizzBuzz test. Jeff, you will not be hiring us as programmers. I feel That's awful. Okay. No, no. Jason, you were close. You probably would have gotten it. Like if you had to yeah, I mean, if I could write it like yeah, out exactly. instead of just say it, I believe it would probably be a problem. But, but really, it's modulus because you want things that divide. Oh, the yeah. I'm, oh, God, the percentage. Is, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, so actual, just, so the I know it's simple is modulus. I'll give, you, I'll give you pretty much half credit for that. I think you would have gotten in. Right. I, I certainly could have written it in a million different really pathetic ways. Exactly. Really. That's what matters. I mean, it, and what you find is... <laughs> People just look at this and go, I have no idea how to do this. It's just right, you know. But the yes. correct answer for, for future reference is modulus. Right. Like if anybody ever tries to fizz buzz me, uh, I'm just going to throw out modulus, and that might, will that maybe get me by? Yeah, sure. You do. Okay. You divide by the number, and then the modulus is zero, meaning. Right. Yeah, I could not. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. But the modulus, yeah, it's only the remainder of the number. It's not the main number itself. So it's yeah. Uh, Jeff, in what in what issue of DC Comics does Superman fight Modulus? Do you remember this? <laughs> I have no idea. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, all right, so I am now gonna I am now in charge of calling the podcast. So we are first gonna do our news stories of the week, and I am calling out first Mr. Jason Modulus McMaster. All right. What is your news story of the week? My news story of the week is the Sony PSP Vita will not be offering uh, the cheaper games uh, or the game service uh, for taking your library uh, of current uh, PSP games uh, into uh, you know your Vita. But it's, it's available in Jan- Japan, but the U.S. and uh, Europe will not have it. So basically no... Are you, is that the same as saying no backwards compatibility with UMDs? Is that what you mean? That is absolutely correct. You have to repurchase them. How do you feel about that, McMaster? I feel that's uh, classic Sony. So will that affect your decision to pick up a, a, a Vita, or have you already picked yours up? I do not have one. Uh, and uh, I'm probably not going to get one for quite some time, I'd imagine. i got enough going on with a iPad and everything else. So. We, we talked a bit about this with uh, Jason Cross last week, who had some great hands-on time. And even though he spoke pretty fondly about some of the games, he just did nothing to convince me that it feels like something I need to pick up. And that's no. partly because I do have games on the PSP that I really like. And if I can't play them on my PlayStation Vita, uh, I'm not really sure I need a Vita. Jeff, where do you fall on this? Are you Well, you're... first of all, mm-hmm. is it Vita or Vita? Jeff, what do you call those things that you take in the morning to make sure you get all of the... Uh, what do I? What's this? What's cinnamon for vitamin, Jason McMaster? <laughs> what do you call? What do you call what? those things? <laughs> so it's like it's like. How do you know it's pronounced vitamin? How do you know it's vita? It's a vita. Well, if we were uh, in Why England, if we were in England, it would be vitamin. Uh, but because yeah. we are all in America and we've thrown off the shackles of the monarchy, we say it vitamin. So Gosh. the PlayStation Vita, vitamin, it is actually Vita, but uh, part of my, my bitterness about not being able to play my UMDs is that I'm going to pronounce their system's game wrong, the name of their system wrong. So, But you are right, it is. I think it's Vita. 
Quite. No, now you've confused me. <laughs> I know. I do that. I mispronounce a lot of words. It's actually embarrassing. Well, sometimes I do it as a slight, like I'm trying to do in this oh, instance, right. but I've just managed to confuse myself. So, Yeah, I, I know well, what you mean, Tome. <laughs> all right, all right, Jeef. <laughs> um, I think uh, I think my favorite bit of the whole thing is that uh, Sony spokesperson said, "When you compare that the that to the price of games here, uh, because you can purchase you know somewhere between five or ten dollars for some of these games, but when you compare that to the price of games here, PSP games in Japan are sold at a much higher price. So people see the value in spending the five to ten dollars to get the digital copy, but when the games are already sold at a lower price in the U.S., we see less value in introducing that kind of system." So, because we pay a few bucks less, it's really not worth it to them. Uh, Does anyone care about the system? Isn't it like the last dinosaur showing up for the mammal show? Who cares? Yeah, oh, I, man, I want to steal that line. Have you used that anywhere? Because I, I totally need to steal that. That's beautiful, Jeff. <laughs> it uh, really is, though. It's just totally like that. Well, you know, I think it's like Momentum. I'm sure they've got some department at Sony that's dedicated to the PSP, and, uh, you know, they're trying to keep up with the DS, and, uh, yeah. Um, uh, I, yeah, I predict, I don't think it's doing very well in Japan, and I can't imagine that's going to change much over here. So No, right. I, I think they, uh, I, I don't understand how they keep coming out with systems. I really yeah. don't. Now, now, Jeff, you mentioned you have a commute on uh, there in San Francisco, or were you? No, you were on the bar no. for something else. Okay, I was doing a speaking engagement on reputation systems. What did you do when you were on the subway? Did you play? A I read. Um, I read the book Fifty Nine Seconds, which is actually very, very good uh, on uh, my Kindle app on my iPhone. What is uh, What is Fifty Nine Seconds? Uh, it's okay. So there's a lot of self-help books about like productivity that are mm-hmm. they're 95, probably 99% of them are just total bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is different in that the author states from the beginning, first of all, everything's going to be very bite-sized. You can consume it in 59 seconds, each individual thing. And it's all going to be based on actual freaking science, meaning everything he talks about, there's some study with actual data and experiments backing up this, this, this thing that you can do to sort of improve your daily life. Uh, in some way. So I, I do recommend it. It's called 59 Seconds. It's it's quite good. Uh, well, the one criticism I do have is it gets into some pretty obscure stuff. You know, like, <laughs> we found in a study that if you do this, you know, this trick with the way that you smile, people will respond more you know, <laughs> positively to you. But it's like, it's just trivia, right? But I would say at least half of it is pretty actionable stuff. Um, I, just, I just want you to know, Jeff, for a mere $400, you could have instead been playing Uncharted 3 on a new Vita. During your subway ride. That's pretty exciting. You know, I think all these... It's funny how Apple completely reinvented mobile gaming, like, accidentally. Yeah. Like, yep. totally acc- It's so clear that they had no idea, right? They were like... I, I remember talking to some developers and the Apple people at the time, like, oh, yeah, you can play games. And they were like... To them, it was just an afterthought. And now it's, I think, most of, like, the highest grossing... grossing uh, apps or games on the platform. I, oh, yeah. I like your alternate pronunciation of grossing. That was an accident. <laughs> that was beautiful. Uh, but it is it is kind of like Apple set it up and, and other people came and Apple didn't expect people were going to come. It's like they they didn't expect there was going to be quite the turnout and the creative influx. Uh, and it's, it's been amazing to watch. Yeah. Well, think about it from a value perspective. Though. I owned a you know Game Boy Advance and all that stuff and I played with all that stuff and I realized like, I'm spending like $40 a game Mm-hmm. For games, some of them I don't even, like, I get how, maybe 10 minutes into, half an hour into. It's like the value oh, yeah. proposition is so screwed up. Whereas 
on an iPhone, there's some pretty deep games you can get for a freaking dollar, right? Yep. Or yeah. and for if you go up to a couple dollars, I mean whole games, like real legitimate games that compete with forty dollar games. Um, I do think the touch platform is a little bit problematic. Like it's you can't really map all the games to the pure touchscreen approach. But other than that criticism, I think Nintendo is dead. Sony's dead. As far as mobile stuff, they're just dead, dead, dead. They just don't know yet. I would agree with you about Sony, but I don't about Nintendo. Like, I still think Nintendo has a niche. Like, you get your kids a DS. Like, I think that's going to float the DS for a while. Uh, And there's a lot of licensed stuff there that will never be replaced with an iPhone that people care about. Uh, They'll hang on longer, but it's going to be... It's clearly the twilight. Yeah. I think anyone okay. who sees it otherwise is just not seeing it. <laughs> All right. So so far, no vitas for us and McMaster. That that's just another nail in the coffin that we can't play our UMDs of Hot Shots Golf. You know, and like uh, when you say um, that uh, it's dead, I absolutely agree with you. That's uh, like all I've been working on lately is mobile stuff. I think a lot of people are moving mobile. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But not for the PSP. No, no. Yeah. no, not at all. all right, so, you have this device that's not a phone. It's just dumb. Okay, I'm going to carry this device with me that only plays games. That is just stupid, right? You can also, yeah. you can also, uh, you can also listen to music on it. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> the, I mean, multifunction devices. I mean, these things are like freaking really legitimate computers now. These things are awesome, right? 512 megs of memory, getting to 1 gigahertz, dual-core processor. These are just regular PCs, man. You know, yeah, the uh, the new iPad, uh, you know, you keep hearing rumors about is pretty pretty ridiculous too. I mean, the current one's not too bad as well, but it's really getting up there. Tom, are you an iPad type of guy? Uh, yes, but on an iPhone. Ah, <laughs> so you don't have an iPad. I do not, but I have an iPhone. And you know what? I don't even have an iPhone. I have an iPod Touch. It doesn't make phone calls. I don't even have a cell phone though, so I'm a, I'm a bit of a luddite. Wait, 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 what? I don't have a no. cell phone. What he, he, really, he really doesn't. Honestly. What am I going to do with a cell phone? What, what the, uh, why, would I want a, why would I want a cell phone? To communicate with human beings? Well, I can do sure. that. First of all, I can do that with my regular phone. Second of all, if I'm ever out somewhere where I need to do that, I can borrow a friend's cell phone. Uh, I've described it before as I'm like the guy who doesn't smoke cigarettes because he's always around other smokers and he can just bum their cigarettes. <laughs> so I don't have a cell phone. Uh, the few times where I really... Uh, it really. Oh, wait, is, no, hold on. I think yeah. this is the dude equivalent of the crazy cat lady. I really do. The yeah, dude doesn't well, carry the phone. I don't know. Well, why do I need one? I don't need a phone. What, <laughs> what am I going to do with it? Well, because uh, it's like okay, you're Batman and you have a utility right? belt, right? And the right. ultimate utility belt item is the smartphone. It's awesome, right? It does everything, right? And that's, so mean, if I need to use one, I, well, I've got I've got a. Uh, you I've find a payphone. What is it, like 1992 again? I don't think they have those anymore. No, you find a buddy. I've actually been out places where I have asked a stranger, excuse me, sir, uh, I need to make a call, and I had my cell phone stolen. Can I borrow yours? Now, it's a partial lie. Uh, no, it's, that's wow. a complete that You would go to these lengths to avoid having a cell phone is really amazing. Well, I don't need one. <laughs> that is so inconvenient. That is so awkward socially. Why? Uh, I mean, do you want to meet random people? I guess yeah. you do. There's, there's no anyway, we yeah. we won't dwell on that. We'll just pretend <laughs> that never happened. But I do have an iPhone, kind of, and I do uh, I do follow games on it pretty closely. Like I, I love the the, uh, the the creative stuff that shows up on the iPhone. Uh, yes. Yeah, a lot of creative. So, uh, and did you see a lot of the classic Atari Twenty Six Hundred guys are coming back to do like new games? Are they? 
Yeah, there was a whole article about it. It's called, oh god, I'll have to look it up. It's Starcade. The guy, Seamus Blackley, the guy who did Xbox. Yeah, I think of him as the guy who did Trespasser. Yeah, so he, oh, <laughs> nice. Uh, anyway, his idea is to bring back all the old guys and say, look, it's about the gameplay. Come up with new, just like on the Atari 2600, right? You have such a limited platform. Yeah. That you're actually innovating based on gameplay, because what what the hell else are you going to do? Throw amazing graphics on the screen? I don't think so. I love that in concept, but uh, I think a lot of these guys will be out of touch with like the state of game design. Uh, I think it's a bit like some director who hasn't made a movie in 20 years coming out of retirement to make a movie and being really out of touch. Like I, I love that in yeah. I don't I don't mean to be Mr. Jaded and cynical, but I just don't have any confidence that the people who made things for the Atari 2600 are still. And this is going to sound awful, but I don't have any confidence that they're still relevant. God, that's mean. That's a terrible thing to say. That sounds like something well, Wumpus would write on. Well, on you forum. just gotta. Well, hey, that's 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 mean. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just got to wait and see what happens. I agree. It could right. be a total failure. We don't know. But I applaud the, 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 the concept, right, of like, hey, let's put gameplay first. Yes. And not do the Zynga thing and just carbon copy any popular game we see, which is just freaking ridiculous, right? And there's plenty of that, by the way, on the iPhone. I mean, there's a oh, lot God. of, like, big companies oh, oh, yes. doing crappy stuff for the iPhone. Uh, so, yeah. It's like angry pigs or angry... <laughs> As close as we can get to Angry Birds without actually saying Angry Birds. How did you know my new game concept I'm working on? Jesus. Angry avian devices. It's like you have a crystal ball. (laughs) All right, so uh, let's do the next news story of the week. And I am calling out for news story of the week, me. My news story of the week, this is a bit of a cheat, uh, but my news story of the week is that there was a press beta of Guild Wars 2 over the past weekend. Uh, that lots of folks got to play. There's been plenty of coverage of Guild Wars 2 coming out. Um, so uh, that's the news of the week for me, is all this stuff. Guild Wars 2, they've been they've showed some of it to the press, but they've kind of been under a, a press blackout for several months while they've been working on it. And it looks like they're very, well, considerably closer to launch. Uh, they basically just turned us loose in the game. Like, all the content was there. We could do whatever we wanted. We didn't have to sit in their offices and, and sort of be shepherded from, okay, now we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. They just gave us the game to bang on for a weekend. Uh, it felt very complete. It felt very polished, especially considering the state of so many MMO releases these days. Uh, and it was just so refreshing to see some of the cool, bold stuff that they're doing. Uh, and it just drove another nail in the coffin of games like, like McMaster. I know you've still been enjoying Star Wars Old Republic, but after spending several days playing Guild Wars 2, I just have no desire to go back to something like Old Republic. Um, well, I like Old Republic for a different reason than gameplay, honestly. So <laughs> I understand. Sure. Now, now, Jeff, are you an MMO guy? No, not at all, actually. Good for you. Uh, I applaud that. Um so uh, did you did you even dally with anything like World of Warcraft? Like, is all you know, that- I had a friend, and he still plays World of Warcraft to this day, which is scary. He, he's a smart guy, though. He's getting things done, which is my main objection to people who are obsessed with these that particular class of game, is that it, because it doesn't end, it becomes this sort of productivity tax, like in the real world. Um, but he had sort of walked me through and, like, you know, I had joined as a character and actually tried, and he showed me around, and I was just like, this is seriously like the most boring thing I've ever done in my life. This is like, I think I post, I actually posted on quarter three about this with the super tanker, and I was like, this is like literally writing an Excel spreadsheet would be more exciting than playing this game. <laughs> well, know? I don't know about that, but I, I, I understand the sentiment. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, so yeah. 
I, but takes... you know what I you know what I do like though, which it doesn't really count, but like this hybrid of first person shooters and and uh, massively multiplayer games. Like uh, I know Borderlands did a little bit. I didn't really like Borderlands very much, but um, Battlefield Three I think did an amazing job of pulling in a ton of progression elements. I mean, you have to play like forty hours to unlock sort of all the stuff that you it, can possibly get in the game, which I have done many times over. It's that World of Warcraft persistence with a shooter. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's a big trend, uh, and at times it works very well. Speaking of which, by the way, stay tuned for my Game of the Week, and I'll have a little bit more to say about that. Um, nice. so, uh, so Guild Wars, McMaster, uh, did you play Guild Wars? So I'm assuming, Jeff, you did yes. not play Guild Wars 1, no. but McMaster, you did play Guild Wars 1, right? Yes, yes. I really like, uh, I really like Guild Wars. So I, I think what's what's most evident from the first Guild Wars is you can see that the developers at ArenaNet really have their own way of doing things. Like, they don't just do things, and I felt like this was a lot of what BioWare did with Old Republic. They don't just do things because it's the proven model, and it's what somebody who's commercially successful is already doing, so therefore let's do that. Uh, they, they take a lot of chances. You know, Guild Wars was an example, whether it's from the business model to the gameplay, uh, even to sort of the... The, the look of the world and the way the characters progress. Um, so there's a lot of that evident in Guild Wars 2, where they even were doing things dramatically different from the first Guild Wars. And I think some Guild Wars fans will feel like, hey, why didn't you just do it the way we already liked it? But ArenaNet feels like, you know what, we're going to take chances. We're going to do things a new way. Um, so that was my news of the week, that now if you're curious about Guild Wars 2, there's a lot of specific information that folks who've been playing it are writing about. Uh, basically, the veil has been lifted on that game. Um, so, there you go. So, uh, that takes us to Jason Modulus. Oh, no, no, that was your news. No, oh, no, no. <laughs> he gets to go twice. Don't you, don't you pull that shit on me, chick. I'm, I've got your number. <laughs> All right, Jeff Atwood, what is your news of the week? Well, you know, I like um, drama. <laughs> To some degree. I mean, I, I like social issues. Like, to me, can I talk about my game of the week now? Can I? Can I? No, can I? no. Sorry, there's a very... Uh, you, yeah. It's all going to tie together. All right, man. Well, uh, this you article... What? Here about... here, here's what I'm going to do for you, Jeff Atwood. Immediately after your news of the week, we're going to segue into your game of the week. Okay. So you now have both topics. You can mix and match them as you like. Excellent. So, so I can reveal my game of the week? Absolutely. Okay. So my game of the week is actually quarter to three. I think... Quarter to Three is a more interesting game than almost any other game I've ever played in my life. Okay. And it's gone on a lot longer. It's the only massively multiplayer online game that I've really enjoyed. Now, Jeff, what level are you in Quarter to Three? <laughs> it's not so much levels. <laughs> I guess there's a post count. What's amazing to me is, is that the, the, just the interaction with other people is... It, is more entertaining at some level than, than the games themselves. Really, it's like it's hard to find games that I really really enjoy. But like, I go on quarter to three, and it's I'm always sort of entertained and, and sometimes even educated by stuff that's posted on quarter to three. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the game that always keeps sort of giving back to me. So I do actually consider that uh, my game of the week. Uh, related to that, I, I enjoy some of the um, sociological things that go on. I mean, that's a lot of what. I don't know if you noticed this, Tom, but when back when we were starting Stack Overflow, when Stack Overflow is a big company now, it has like, I mean, excuse me, Stack Overflow slash Stack Exchange. There's 50 people that work there. I mean, we have venture capital funding. This is like a top 100 website. So this is like a real thing, right? I posted about all this on quarter to three before I did any of it. Mm-hmm. 
in sort of a semi-secretish way, because, you know, I don't use my real name there and, and stuff. But now, I, was that the help me break? No, was that the uh, help me break this forum help software? Build, and actually, it was titled Help Me Build Forum Software. We did not end up actually building forum software. We built Q&A software, which I think is fundamentally different. Um, because like Jeopardy, once you funnel everything through Q&A, you get slightly different results. Uh, it's more focused. It's better for certain types of activities. Uh, but that was me using quarter to three. Like I, I had observed that there was just a ton of really good information on quarter three, but it was really, really hard to get to the good information. And another good example of that, and I'm sure you don't want to rehash all this at this point, but the long, long thread about the future of quarter to three uh-huh. where you instituted the bans – and I'm not disputing or questioning any of that, um, but what's a, what shocked me about that thread was, like, I read all 55 pages of that thread. Like, I literally sat there and clicked. Like, I read every post, and I clicked next, and I read all 55 pages of the thread. Right, right. Uh, and it, it pained me because some of those posts were really, really good. They had really deep insight about what was going on and how it was happening and all that stuff. But they're on page 32 of 55 of a thread that, like, nobody is going to find that information. Right, you know? right. There's a, there's a lot of noise uh, on quarter to three, or I think any any sort of any social site. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was one of the problems that I set out to solve. Was like I went to quarter to three, and I was like, wow, these are some really smart people. Uh, not all of them, but a lot of them are really smart, and they're really interesting, <laughs> and they have sometimes very very interesting things to say. But like, good fucking luck finding any of it, right? Right, right. This is a crime. I mean, this is really criminal, and and I feel like a lot of the problems, like on quarter to three right now are in fact social problems because of the software, not because the people are really doing anything wrong, but the software is not helping you figure this stuff out. It's not helping anyone figure this stuff out. It's just like this blob of 1999 era form design that nobody has bothered to try you know, rejiggering to fix some of these problems. Now, when you say because of the software, do you mean because of the way the conversation progresses with this sort of staccato, you know, this guy's talking to this guy a few posts back, and then this guy's talking to this guy, and then anybody can weigh in with a little one-liner that goes nowhere? Is that what you mean when you say partly software? Okay. Partly. I mean, you know, in a, in a way, Stack Overflow was was partially a response to some of the stuff that goes on in quarter three, although it's, it's much more technical and much more focused. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it was an inspiration for the stuff that went on there. Uh, but more directly talking about that thread, I guess my short-term desire would be some way of flagging the posts that are particularly insightful and saying, look, I need the Reader's Digest version of this 55-page thread because right. there's no way in hell. I mean, it took me hours to read all that. Sure, really. yeah. <laughs> and it's a very unpleasant read at times. And it wasn't always pleasant, and, right. but yeah. some of it was really, really good. And, 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 you know, it would be wonderful if there's a way to surface that if, you know, maybe you, Tom, or, you know, the other users saw content. They're like, hey, this is a an insightful post. This deserves yep. to be read. Uh, there's some sort of flagging mechanism or starring mechanism. I don't know what you would call it. And then you could actually do away with, with uh, chronology and just say, just show me the stuff that was actually significant in the thread. Right. And it could even be number of replies. I mean, there's, there's ambient ways to capture this. Like the more replies there are, you could start factoring that in. Well, uh, you see you see some places playing with this, like with their comment section, like only display things that have so many likes. And, uh, yeah, I fully recognize that this is a uh, – a complaint or an observation that many people have, but where I would sort of take issue with you, Jeff, um, is that I don't think the point of quarter to three is necessarily to highlight uh, important or even intelligent points. Uh, the point of quarter to three to me is a group of people having a conversation and that oftentimes 
different types of input will be of different pieces of value to different people. Like it's something ephemeral. Uh, it's something that uh, you, you have to take in total. Uh, moments come and moments go. It's like when you're sitting in a group with, uh, you know, when you're hanging around with your friends, you might have one of your friends who's particularly funny. Uh, you might have another friend who's really smart. Um, but you don't ignore everyone else just to pay attention to that person. Uh, and I feel that quarter to three is something similar, that everybody should be allowed to say something, that it doesn't exist just so smart people can make smart points or funny people can be entertaining. It exists so that, that people can speak to each other. Uh, and that's a very sort of touchy-feely way to, to put it. Like, I, I sort of appreciate you have a more of a, a scientist's perspective, like a utilitarian perspective. How can this be useful to me? How can this help me? Um, but I guess I have a more of a touchy-feely community uh, opinion on it. Does that kind of make sense? It does, but I don't think those are necessarily mutually exclusive. Absolutely. For the people, I mean, it's not like I'm saying we do away with chronology right. entirely. That would be right. insane. I'm saying if you're in a hurry, if you want to just get the high points of the thread and the stuff that was viewed as significant, then there's a way to switch into this, you know, only show me the, the, the favorite or liked things. And it really is just a, an idea at this point. And then the other thing that, that I was thinking about, and I know you have – strong opinions about this. And I actually don't have any opinion about this as far as like the, the way quarter three is moderated and, and all that stuff and like who gets to talk about what. The only point I wanted to make, and, and I kind of made it, I'll just reiterate in, in person, is that there really should be a place on quarter to three to discuss quarter to three, like almost like a separate subsection. Um, not the let's all question Tom Chick section, but like... Right. I love that section though. That's uh, that <laughs> All day long, Tom just gets emails from me. It's like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But one of the things we learned early on, a mistake I made with Stack Overflow, was that it was like Fight Club. You just didn't talk about Stack Overflow. You talked about programming. Because when you're on Stack Overflow, you're not supposed to talk about Stack Overflow website. Because really, who gives a flip, right? I mean, it's not about the website. It's about being an awesome programmer and learning from your peers about programming. But a significant percentage of people really, really wanted to talk about Stack Overflow, and they wouldn't shut up about it. Like, and, and, and I realized later this was a huge mistake because the people that want to talk about Stack Overflow are the people most invested in the success and, and, and health of your community. They're the leaders. They're the government. They're the people who give a shit. And if you're telling – I'm not saying you're doing this, but I'm saying I did this. No, right, right. I was telling the people who loved our site to fuck off. Right, and that was a huge mistake. Right, like I need to embrace those people and say, look, here's a place for you guys to do nothing but talk about Stack Overflow, and that is how you create self-sustaining communities because governance forms, leadership forms, and it scales with the community because a certain percentage of the people are going to care enough that they're like, wow, I really love this stuff so much that I love programming, but I also love this website about the programming, right. and this is in furtherance of this thing that I love, you know, and I want to help build this thing. Yep, and and just to give you the flip side of that, Jeff, I, I again kind of don't really uh, another way to, to talk about what you're saying is that you also get clicks that emerge and these clicks sort of feel this sense of like entitlement for how the the group should run and a lot of times I think these clicks can be uh, exclusion they can exclude other people uh, and they can alienate other people who might want to speak up uh, and I I I found that that was a real problem. Uh, and also, just to uh, make this clear, there is currently no – like people in quarter to three who want to talk about moderation or who want to talk about how the forum is run, there is no – there are no rules about you can't do that, only do that here. Like there's been nothing like that instituted. You really should move that. The other advantage is huh? it moves all the meta noise off the main site, which is huge. 
Right. You really, yeah. Because it'll always creep in. Well, and that's fine. I don't mind it creeping in. Uh, and, and I've never, for, for the most part, except when I was trying to do this, you know, after being frustrated with moderation. And the thing is, it all comes down to a small handful of people. And I'm not trying to single anyone out. Uh, you know, a lot of the people who are no longer on the forum, I, I miss them. They were great. Uh, I personally like many of them. But uh, it, it all comes down to, without a lot of those people around, it hasn't really been a problem. Well, uh, I, I do appreciate some of your, certainly a lot of your viewpoint on this, where, and I like, gosh, I, I had this written down because I, I liked it so much, mm-hmm. <laughs> but where you were talking about, like, the point of the forum, I'll just paraphrase because I don't have it in front of me, was not so much, like you said, to make smart points or be interesting or be useful, but for, for people to sort of get along with each other, right? Mm-hmm. Like, for, for the interactions had to be sane, right? right like, that right. was the, the point of this exercise. Like, there could be grudges, there could be fights, there could be tiffs, like, all that stuff's going to happen. But you have to fundamentally sort of be nice to each other. That's kind of the point uh, of the forum. I don't 100% agree with that because I think they can go together. I think you can have utility and you can also have people being nice to each other together. It's not like they're mutually exclusive. Uh-huh. Um, but I thought that that was a great point and, and certainly negativity. Like I would love it. Let me give you another example where I think the software could help you. It's like why does all the moderating burden have to be on Tom Chick? Now, I don't mean appointing special moderators and right, getting right. a clique of moderators, but the community itself could say, look, this con- this content is so offensive to so many people that, you know, as ex- people who are invested, people who have posted, you know, 20,000 things on, on mm-hmm. quarter to three are invested in this community to some degree. That right. doesn't mean they own it. I'm not saying it's not Tom Chick's community, but I'm saying they should have the right to say, look, this is negative. The type of content you're talking about where people are just being dicks to each other, like outright, like really cruel and mean and heartless, that kind of content, they should be able to clamp down on themselves. Like the software should really let them do that so that you don't have to be the bad guy, right? Right. Like why can't the community shoulder some of the burden of getting rid of this 5% of this super negative content that's hurting the site? And again, I think in in theory that sounds great, but in practice you're going to get some of the people who are the problem forming this clique that would clamp down. I guess I would have to see how something like that would work. Well, this is, again, the software provides you – how would anyone know this is possible? Because the software is so shit that it doesn't even give you the ability (laughs) to do this stuff that I'm describing. It's like, oh, my God, this is like magic from heaven. How could this even be possible? Right, right, right. Uh, I mean, that's what I find frustrating. Like, I, my main reaction to that entire thread was frustration with the software. And I felt bad for you, Tom, because, like, the software's not helping you do shit. You know, it's all sort of on you to sort of figure this all out and be the, 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 the person who sets the rules. And and it really, it should be, in some sense, shouldered at least. When we're talking about really, the, again, getting rid of the really negative people that are actually damaging and harming the ecosystem of the site. Because I do agree with that. And, and I, I speak this as a person who's engaged in some of that behavior, right? Like, I've been a dick to people before on quarter three. I mean, you've banned me before because I was – and you were right. I was being a total ass, right? Well, and so, all of us have. Like, I've certainly been a dick, too. I mean, yeah, that's that's – yeah, I'm sorry I cut you off, but uh, yeah. No, you didn't. I've I mean, never I don't been think a you actually dick have a dictator. Like no, no, no. I've, I appreciate you saying that, Jeff, but no, I have definitely been. I mean, we all have, and that's part of how we interact with each other, and that's why I, the act of being a dick is not a problem to me. That will happen. What's a problem to me is when you say to someone, hey, you know, that was kind of inappropriate, and they're like, no, it wasn't, I, this is how I am, and this is me telling it straight, and I disagree with your definition. Like, if you can be a dick and acknowledge <laughs> that you are, that to me is an important part of, of, of being socially well-adjusted. You and know, you you, know I, I agree with that completely. That, that That's an excellent point. Like, and, and I had the same observation about moderating Stack Overflow. The first the first sign that things are going wrong is when you email someone as a moderator, like, look, I'm sorry, we're, you know, 
we have to suspend you from Stack Overflow, they start fighting you, right? right. The minute they start fighting you, you know it's just not going to go well. It's like they don't get it. But it's so rare. It's really rare for people to say, oh, you're right. You know, I was kind of out of line there. I'll try to do better. But this knee-jerk reaction of authority, you know, you know, you, I'm not going to be held down by the man. <laughs> well, like, and, and, and you know what, Jeff? Like, I would get that a lot, and a lot of times that you would expect that, and you have to learn to sort of not be careful about not provoking that response. But a lot of times, even after that response, people will come back and say, okay, okay I understand what you're saying. Like, I, I feel like you have to give people a chance to have that reaction. Like, yeah, fuck you. I was just, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm going to stand up to the man. Like, that's right. how people will naturally react. Even if you're a lot of times, even if you're really careful about saying, "Hey, I kind of felt that was out of line. Could you chill out?" So I think even if you give people an, if you sort of allow that knee-jerk reaction at first, that that even that can be fine. People can come back from that. Um, really? That's oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no. Yeah. Well, you know what, Jeff? Like, uh, well, you're a bad example because I, it was always sort of easy one-on-one. But there have been plenty of people that that just really got pissed off at me and 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 then came back from it. Like, I don't think. Uh, I, I don't think you, you should take that first reaction of like, ah, oh, well, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want. Uh, like, always give somebody a chance to come back from that, and a lot of times I think they will, uh, if you let them. Like, I, I don't know. People people get mad. I mean, it's just part of how people react. You know, if you throw someone out of a bar, yeah, he's going to be pissed off at you. Um, but it doesn't mean he's going to stay that way. Uh, I don't know. You know what? I, I do. I, I'm glad you picked that because it, it's certainly something that I, I think a lot of people. You know, there is that quarter to three game, uh, and it's, it's a really fun game. It's a it's a fun game. It's been going on for a while, and uh, <laughs> yeah. So so that's your pick for wait game of the week and news story of the week. Uh, well, the news story was related. I'll, I'll just briefly. The Bioware writer who was getting described as a cancer. <laughs> Oh, I didn't see that. Wait, so this is like some... So she's yeah. a writer for BioWare, and let me just read you the, the, the section that she wrote that people were all up in arms about. And this is her talking. The biggest objection is usually that skipping the fight scenes would make the game so much shorter, but to me, that's the biggest perk. So she's basically arguing that if you could have a game that was all dialogue and just skip all the boring combat, that it would be a better game. And she's Heavy a writer... Rain. For Bioware, <laughs> right? Of course, she. And I, you know, what? I'm not surprised you read that from a writer. So, but that's something that. So, because of that comment, people are calling her. You said a cancer. Yeah, yeah. It was on Reddit. It just went a little sideways. I think they they clamped down. But at one point, somebody from uh, Bioware uh, was twittering somebody to go fuck himself, and it wasn't <laughs> going well. Now that, by the way, I don't envy anyone who has to run an official official like company. Uh, forum like, like I don't th- I'm fortunate enough that I don't have to think of anyone in quarter three as like a customer or like we're just a group where I, I think we're all equals I don't have this like you know customer relationship I don't have to do customer relations uh, I don't this is to- the game about the game Tom right that's what's so fun the game about the game it's more fun than the actual game <laughs> depends on I the game is. yeah yeah uh, so uh, are, are you a Bioware fan Jeff uh, somewhat. I mean, I've uh, I like Bioshock, Bioshock Two. I haven't really. Oh no, no. Oh, what did you just do? Oh, Jeff, you just lost so many points of gaming cred. Sorry. <laughs> Wait a minute. Did what, you... Which one was bad? Oh, Jeff McMaster, can you come here and fix Jeff Atwood for me? Yeah. Um. Neither <laughs> of those are Bioware games. Oh, I thought those were Bioware games. My bad. Oh, that's irrational. How could you do that to irrational? <laughs> oh, sorry. No, actually, you know what? I don't actually like any uh dragon any Bioware games because they're all RPGs, pretty much, right? Uh, some would say that Mass Effect Two is a shooter. 
but yes, no, they definitely do RPGs. If, if like RPGs are not your bag, you probably would not be into uh, Bioware yeah, games. That's the deal. I apologize for my gaffe. <laughs> oh, oh, Jeff. It's you know good. what? Sorry. I mean, yeah, I I don't care if you've got three kids. I need you to sit down and play Bioshock 2. Or, or no, you know what? I guess you... So you were calling out Bioshock 2 as a good game, so I guess we'll let that pass. But <laughs> So BioWare are the folks in... They did like all of these early D&D licensed games, and then they were acquired by EA, and they've done like Knights of the Old Republic, the Star Wars-themed things, uh, yeah. and, and Mass Effect and, and Dragon Age. Jade Empire. Uh, Jade Jade, exactly, exactly. So you do. There's. So now you've got a little gaming cred back. But uh, Irrational is a group who started out in Boston. Uh, they, I think, have roots in Looking Glass, the folks that did the Thief games, uh, and they have done. Uh, they did System Shock Two, Bioshock, uh, Bioshock Two. They did a, a really cool tactical superhero game called Freedom Force. Um, and I would say uh, Irrational is an example of fantastic writing. Bioware to me, is an example of what gamers put up with and believe is good writing. Like, I don't really think the writers at Bioware are that great. I'm, I'm, there's some cool stuff they do, but I think for the most part, they aren't very good writers over there. And I'm not saying they're cancer, by the way, so don't don't lump me in with whatever was going on there on the internet. Uh, Pretty much just the anger over the idea that you would have a game that was like all dialogue trees and skip the combat. <laughs> But I, I do have to say, though, that I'm not that surprised to hear a full, like somebody who's employed at Bioware as a full time writer. Like, it's not really her job. I, I, I don't know how the company's structured, but I can imagine it's not really her job to, to worry much about, like, gameplay systems and combat. Like, she probably just focuses on the story, so naturally, she probably doesn't care much about the well, combat. I, I don't have a problem with it personally because, hey, I don't care. I don't play these actual games anyway, so it's irrelevant to me. But uh, she was kind of making a case that there should be actually built in a way to skip the combat for those type of players. Right. So she was actually semi-proposing a, at least a mode of gameplay where it would be pretty much just all clicking dialogue trees, which to me sounds like a special area of hell, but <laughs> I guess someone uh, could think that was fun. There was, uh, so there's a great brawler called Bayonetta, and there was a way you could, and Bayonetta had very sophisticated like combos, and you would equip powers and learn moves and have finishing moves, and uh, it was a pretty meaty game for anybody who wanted it to be that way. But you could also reduce it to a, a, a basically an easy level to just let you enjoy the cutscenes and mash a button to watch cool stuff happen. And I forget what they called it, but I really like the idea that, that they did that. Don't know how many people played it that way, but that was an option. Sure. Uh, in Mass Effect 3, by the way, you can set combat difficulty to, I think they just call it like hard, medium, and easy. But below easy, there's a difficulty called narrative, wow. uh, which is like super easy, where you're basically never going to die. Your teammates wow. are invulnerable, pretty much. I wonder you're, if that's the mode that she was basically proposing. Well, that's what it's making me think of, is that they're kind of laying groundwork for people to to maybe try this narrative mode. I mean, the fact that they call it narrative mode, I thought was kind of funny. Uh, so I'll bet that's probably what's going on w with her comments there. So if you want to read, Destructoid has the best headline, so I'm just going to read it here. Bioware's writer's vagina versus the internet. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I think the internet is going to win that one. That's that's awful. <laughs> it's not a fair fight, really. It's, not true. Really. it's just one vagina. It's the whole internet. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Uh, all right, so, uh, Jeff, that's your news of the week and your game of the week. Yep. Uh, so next, I am calling out me. We're going to save so. McMaster for last. Uh, my game of the week. Now, Jeff, I know you're a shooter dude, aren't you? Yeah. What do you think about 
like narratively driven single player corridor shooters. Any of those work for I need, you? I need an example. Give me an example of. Let's see. Did you play like Singularity? I did. Did you like it? It, it, it a bit empty. It wasn't terrible, but it was like I felt like I kind of wasted my time at the end. I agree. Like I think Singularity is an example of one of those kinds of games that didn't work very well. Did you play Fear Three? I liked Fear Three. Fear Three had really good combat. Yep. So I think Fear Three, and again, it's a Fear Three is pretty much a corridor shooter, but they mixed it up pretty well. I loved Fear Three. Yeah, uh, it was good. Yeah, it was surprisingly good because Fear Two was crap. I know. Yep. So you know what? I have a tip for you, Jeff Atwood. I think you would like, and I'm as surprised as anyone to be saying these words out loud because I hated the first game. I think you would like The Darkness Two, which is my pick for game of the week. Oh, nice! I'll check so, it out. McMaster, have you seen The Darkness Two, or do you know much about it? I believe I played the demo. Now, were you a Darkness One fan? Did anyone on this podcast besides me play Darkness One? Yeah, I've played Darkness One. Um, wow, and. and I'll tell you, it's not that I dislike the game completely, because I kind of like what they were trying to do. I just felt that it was kind of dull. Uh, I don't know. It just kind of didn't hit me. They did a weird thing, like trying to have New York City as a hub area where you would walk around and talk to people, and it just yeah. felt very empty and, and dull, like you're saying. Uh, and they had a... The, it's based on a comic book, which is about a mafioso who gets demonic powers, and... All the goofy mafioso stuff just felt a little silly, and I didn't quite understand why it was supposed to fit, and uh, it just felt weird. Like, here's a random Goodfellas bada-bing game. Oh, and by the way, you have tentacles. Like, I didn't quite... And, and Mike Patton is screeching at you the entire time. But you know what? I like that. I love that Mike Oh, Patton I like that, stuff. too. And so part of, part of what makes The Darkness 2 really, really good is how much more they play with this idea of the demonic powers and sort of fleshing them out and giving them backstory and having the bad guys respond to them in interesting ways other than saying, oh, God, he's got a tentacle. You know, they, they do cool gameplay things with the fact that you've got these powers. Like, for instance, you go up against a cult who wants to steal the powers from you, and they basically bring the, – the conceit is that the powers only work when you're in darkness. Like, in broad daylight, it doesn't work. So – as the game goes on, you eventually fight these guys who bring high-powered flashlights. You know, they're, they're walking around, and they've got a squad of guys with guns, and then one of the guys has a flashlight, and you have to either hide from the guy with the flashlight or shoot out his flashlight or take him out first. So it's this cool tactical challenge. Like, in order to use all your darkness powers, you can't be in the light, so how do you deal with the fact that one of the enemies is shining a super bright light at you? Uh, so they play a lot more with that conceit. Um, they also do a great job uh, of giving you, uh, uh, with the interface, you know, the two triggers are your guns, your hands holding guns like you would expect it to be, and the shoulder right. buttons. And they did a bit of this with the first game, but I feel like it, there's much more environmental inter interactivity in the second game. Each of the shoulder buttons is one of the tentacles. So what that leads you to are is this sense of having superpowers uh, of, of interacting with the environment with these powers that you've got. So you can be reloading your gun, and while you're reloading, your tentacle can pick a dude up while the other tentacle smacks him into the ground to do extra damage. Or you can be shooting while your tentacle's grabbing ammo from across the room, uh, and you're also, like, flinging this swarm power to, to stun the guys. Uh, it gives you this great sense of a tool set and these combat sandboxes. And, and Fear 3 did something very similar. Uh, well, so you know, Tom, I find so often with shooters, it's it's really all about the mechanics of the shooting. Like, is that good? 
And if you screw that up, it really doesn't matter what else you do in the game because the shooting, the actual idea of pointing gun at guy, click button, he fall down. If that doesn't feel good and right, <laughs> yep. then Absolutely. what's the point? And, and I think that's a great example of what you're saying. is like get the combat right. Like in Fear 3, it's like, wow, the combat feels really good. And then you can do other clever things like set pieces and, you know, environmental yeah. stuff. And But, man, just, you know, get the fundamentals right, right, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and, and do something to either make them more lively or to, to build on them. Uh, like I get really bored playing the Call of Duty games, even though they've got good shooting, because it just feels like the previous Call of Duty game. You, you know, those I couldn't are... even finish the third one, the, the one that just came out. I like, I was like, oh, I'll try this, and then I just like, what happens with games like that is like I literally forget I'm playing them. <laughs> you start like, thinking I'll be about it for a day, and then a week will go by. It's like, oh yeah, I was playing that game. <laughs> yeah, because who cares, right? Like I wasn't even like. Ugh. Well, that's another thing I really like about Darkness 2 is I don't think you'll forget you're playing it because they do really clever things with their story. Like, I think there's actual good writing and actual twists. Like, you sit down to play Call of Duty 3 or uh, Modern Warfare 3, you know exactly what's going to happen. You know there's going to be some big explosion and there's going to be maybe a terrorist scene and you're going to have a turret sequence and all that you know is coming so it's easy to forget about. You play Darkness 2 and I don't I don't want to say too much about it, but they build in such different cool elements. Like there were times I was playing Darkness 2 that it made me think of Alan Wake or uh, Shutter Island, the movie Shutter Island. Uh, the, is Shutter the, Island any good? I love Shutter Island. Shutter Island, a lot of folks didn't like. I mean, it, it's a, a kind of an over. It's Martin Scorsese doing a genre movie with a yeah. kind of brash style. Uh, it's gorgeous. Some uh, some people might find it a little too like contrived and overbearing and weird. Like it has this blaring. Uh, what's the guy that did the soundtrack for the Hitchcock movies? Uh, anyway, it has this like blaring uh, soundtrack that uses weird, dissonant twentieth century music at times. Um, but yeah, Shutter Island is is really good. I liked it a lot. Well, I will check that out. And it, it plays a lot with like what's real and what's in your imagination, and that's something that Darkness Two does a great job with. You um, know what I re- this is tangential, so I apologize. But quite right. you know what I really like? so so these hostile Saw movies are generally really terrible. But right. the first mm-hmm. Hostel movie did such a great job. I don't know if you remember the intro to Hostel when huh. it's just an environment where everything is subtly off. Do you remember the intro to Hostel? It's not I, like this brilliant movie but like uh, like is it like where aren't they just like in a they're backpacking in amsterdam or something yeah and, and they encounter these situations but everything's just slightly off with the situation in a way that's like really subtle like and again it's it's the perception of reality you know that's what's so clever about it like what you're describing where reality is just slightly off yep, yep. Know, and it just it was a really the rest of the movie is not very good to be honest with you but right. the, the lead-up was excellent uh, i want to recommend a movie that i think does that jeff throughout and it has a consistent tone and it, it's in a familiar place like the movie's set in new york city but it just does a great job with weird with touches where something seems malevolent or weird it's like when you're just what you're describing with hostile uh there's a, a a director named jane campion who did a movie that was widely panned i can sort of understand why but it does some really cool things called in the cut with Mark Ruffalo and Meg Ryan. Uh, and she plays this, uh, I think she's a poetry professor in New York City who starts to perceive that like something's wrong and there's weird things going on. And uh, and it plays with that a lot. Just mundane things, but with a malevolent twist. Yeah, um, yeah. there's a lot of good horror in there. It's, well, the, it's underappreciated. And, and, 
And and the horror in uh, in Darkness Two, by the way, because it's got plenty of blood and gore, and it's clearly a horror game. Uh, it reminds me a lot. At, at times, there's a point in the game where you're you're fighting in like a a carnival, and you're in a haunted castle, and there's cool, colorful lighting, and you meet the main villain who's got this scarred face and this weird kind of like Hitler haircut. Wait, where- is this Kiss Psycho Circus? No, but boy, it's that's that's a blast from the past. Holy cow! God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's a point in the darkness too where there's all this like lighting and color comes together, and this disfigured guy's face when he's talking to you during a cutscene. And it made me think, ah, and, and the, the graphics also in Darkness 2 have a cell-shaded look to them. So there's this point late in Darkness 2 where I'm like, I know now what this game reminds me of. It looks like those old uh, EC comics. Do you guys know what those are? Those like horror comics, like Tales from the Crypt? Yes. Sure, uh, yeah. It's got that that sort of, and, and those were like colorful. Like in a weird way, that they, 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 they popped. Like you think of those old covers in color, uh, they weren't like dark, grim horror. They were this lurid, colorful horror artwork. And yeah. at its best, I think Darkness 2 really taps into that kind of thing. Now, um, is this a full-price kind of game, Tom? What's the oh, yeah. threat level? No, you're, you're going to have to pay your 60 bucks to get it on the 360. Uh, one of the oh, criticisms... come on. PC, baby. PC, baby. What are you, oh, you know what? You're right. What are you it's talking $50, about? $50 on the PC. You're right. And you know what, Jeff? So here's the thing. A lot of folks have criticized Darkness 2, and this is fair enough if this is your bag, but it's the single player apparently isn't very long. I, I can say apparently. It's not very long. Like, you can do it in uh, six, seven hours. However... I think what people and this kind of pisses me off because they've done a wait. There's a narrative mode where you can skip all the combat, <laughs> just have the cutscenes. <laughs> just that I would pay. No, Unbelievable. There's there's no such thing. But what kind of pisses me off? Uh, this is developed by some folks named Digital Extreme, and they've been around working on like oh, Unreal Engine games for a while. Uh, and so this is, I think, their first like stand. They did a game called Dark Sector. I don't think that went anywhere. But uh, since Dark Sector, this is them. Uh, trying to do something really cool and different. The last thing they did was the multiplayer for Bioshock 2, which I really liked. I felt like it was underappreciated. Uh, 2K certainly screwed up the whole online support system with that. You know, I just have a lot of issues with it that are, go beyond the design work that Digital Extremes did. But what Digital Extremes has done in The Darkness 2 is they give you this short single-player campaign, the story mode, and then they give you a multiplayer mode, kind of, where you're playing different characters. There are four different characters, each with different darkness powers. The main character in the darkness has two tentacles that can fuck stuff up. The, uh, these other four characters in the multiplayer mode each have different unique powers. Furthermore, they each can upgrade these powers on a unique uh, skill tree. You know, it's kind of like Borderlands in a way. So what happens is you're playing through these separate multiplayer story missions that fit between uh, what was the events of the single-player story mission. So it's sort of like you play the single-player, and now you're looking at stuff that happened between the gaps with these other people with these darkness powers. And these other story missions, they're a separate story. It's a separate campaign designed for multiplayer. That you can also play single-player. If you want, you can just level up characters alternately. You can pick one, go all the way through. You can swap characters and level them up differently. But that's part of what I feel is the experience as well, is a a multiplayer campaign that, if you want, you can just play it as a single-player, vaguely rpg kind of shooter 
Oh. All right, all right, Tom Chick. Well, this, if, if I don't like this though, this is going to be another Far Cry Two situation. Are you sure? You oh, want that? oh, don't get me started. That would yet. not be good for you. <laughs> I do think that. Uh, well, you know what though? I don't know what to say. I, I mean, I'm heartily recommending Darkness Two, <laughs> and I will be writing. Uh, like, I'm giving it five stars. Like, I really love this game. Uh, but I, I do have to just as a disclaimer say that I think it's gotten middling reviews. Like I don't. No, think I think this would be something I would like. I mean, Far Cry Two was just oh god. I, I'm not sure I even want to talk about Far Cry Two, but I'm just hoping with Far Cry because I loved Far Cry. You understand? I really loved the first Far Cry. Okay. And just man, Far Cry Two just did not work for me. Like oh, I can I, I, I wouldn't even go there. Let's just hope. Let's just let's just let amends be amends and let's let's hope <laughs> Far Cry Three is awesome because I really want it to be awesome. Can I do a quick impression? of Jeff Atwood's thought process when thinking about Far Cry 2? Does it involve leaning? Maybe. Okay, go ahead. Among other things, here you go. Here's how Jeff Atwood's brain sounds when he thinks about Far Cry 2. Oh, way, 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 I can't lean. Way, 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 the, the checkpoints respawn. Oh, way, 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 there's no there's no animals running around in Africa that I can shoot. I want to shoot lions. Way, 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 where's the giraffes? Way, way, way. <laughs> so that's not a very accurate simulation. <laughs> well, you sound, it's just like your own different, your own voice sounds different than you expect when you hear it. Your own thought process sounds different when you hear someone else expressing it for you. <laughs> yeah, I just, well, to me, Far Cry 2 was just so unfun. Like, I just, I couldn't. Oh, yep, there you go. I'm sorry. You just used the F word. I, I know. I, <laughs> I think, I, I, well, you know what? I have the perfect response for that, and that is no, Far Cry 2 was fun. Well, you know, for me, I think it was it combined the, the wrong aspects of the massive multiplayer stuff, like the grinding stuff, like the the going from point A to point B endlessly, like just because you have to, and like not enough action. It's like you know, I, I play shooters, Tom, because I like to blow shit up, right? I understand. And like right? in Far Cry Two, I spent far too much time just like dicking around, like getting guns, driving from point A to point yep. B. Like, I just don't remember having that problem with Far Cry. Like, yes, there was some travel, but oh, right, right, absolutely. Let's just hope they tweak the balance because I do think. I love the Far Cry series. I want to love it because Far Cry to me was like a classic. Like that's one of the greats. Right. And hopefully with Far Cry Three they can do away with some of the grinding and do it the right way. Well, well, I, I just want to say real quick, two things come to mind. Uh, first of all, while I absolutely respect what you're saying about why you play Far Cry, why you play shooters in Far Cry Two, why it didn't live up to that, my counter that to that would be, well, I play open world games because I like to experience cool, imaginative places. Uh, and that's the level that Far Cry 2 appealed to me. However, I will say that going forward, Jeff, I think you're, what you're looking for is probably more likely in Far Cry 3 because Ubisoft has lost Clint Hawking, who I, I think he was sort of a, a creative driving force for why Far Cry 2 was the way that it was. Uh, so I, I'm expecting that Far Cry 3 will take a sort of safer, more wide-appeal-friendly approach and I'm not saying that to denigrate what you're saying, but I'm saying they're probably going to tailor more to, to an audience like what you're looking for. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, we can both agree that we want Far Cry 3 to be awesome. I agree. McMaster, are you with us on that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, now McMaster, let's let McMaster do his game. We've Yeah, we've so that leads us to McMaster. The uh, Jason Modulus McMaster Game of the Week is not. <laughs> we know it's not. Um, Alan Wake. We know it's not Alan Wake. Now, that doesn't preclude it from being the downloadable Alan Wake game that just came out this week. Because I think that's called, like, Alan Wake Coming to the Light or something like that. Like, I think um, that is a subtitle. Some crap or something. But, yeah, um, no, my game of the week is not a video game. My game of the week, for once, is a board game of sorts. Mm, I like this. Um, 
I was uh, looking around for uh, Mage Knight because uh, Bill Abner keeps telling me how great it is and lording it over me that he has a copy and that they're still reprinting them. So uh, I, I keep looking every now and then. I went by one of my favorite board game stores, and uh, I guess I, I just kind of wanted to mess around with something, and uh, I picked up um, the Game of Thrones card game. Which is a living card game. Which An LCG, we've had, as they say. Yes. Yeah, which yeah, explain LCGs to us, McMaster. Uh, what a living card game is, uh, is you have a certain amount of decks uh, that come in the base set, a certain amount of cards. And then they release booster packs and adventure packs and stuff like that. Now, it's not collectible, as in you don't get random cards in the booster packs. You get... Uh, a certain amount of cards each time, same pack. You, so, you always know what you're getting, but they still encourage you to sort of make your own decks, basically. Right. 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 So it's a customizable card game, but it's not one that you have to, uh, that has a, um, I don't know, uh, element of chance in the card purchase. Um, so, uh, Game of Thrones, uh, I'm a fan of uh, to some extent. I actually can't. Uh, get through the books. I, I've been trying before I get hate mail. I've been trying. Uh, but uh, I'm fond of the television series. Now, uh, to be fair, I have read the first two books. Um, but uh, I've had the board game for quite some time, and uh, none of my friends really want to play it with me because it's very uh, complex. It's a fantasy flight game, after all. The card game, however, plays a lot like a combination of, and this is kind of a weird combination, uh, of Puerto Rico mm. for fans of board games and um, Magic. Mm. So uh, you have uh, you, you start the game by each uh, character choosing a house. Uh, the base set comes with uh, Targaryen, uh, Barathorn, um, Lannister, and Stark. Uh, you can purchase uh, more cards for all the houses, and uh, I also picked up the House Martell and House Greyjoy uh, packs. Um, and so, uh, real quick, just to, to interrupt, real quick, Master. So, uh, the the, the add-ons that are sold are houses as well as expansions for each of the core sets' houses. There, yeah, actually, there's a the thing about this is the um, each of the houses has a. Um, uh, spe uh, specific cards for them. You can actually play cards from other houses. You just have to pay extra to put them out. Mm -hmm. um, in Magic, uh, you know, you uh, for people familiar with Magic, you tap lands to get mana. Well, um, and use that mana to cast your cards. In this, you um, you have a certain amount of cards uh, on the table, and they'll have an amount of gold on them, and that's how much gold you draw. And you use those gold to um, put cards out, uh, and um, also use certain effects. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the game starts out with a... You flip these plot cards that you draw, and they give you certain bonuses. They also give you an initiative, an amount of damage you do to players, and um, an amount of gold you draw. Then uh, each player goes uh, going clockwise from the person with the highest initiative. You pick the... Um, 
you pick titles, which give you bonuses. And this is very Puerto Rico because they're they're represented by uh, little figures, and there's stuff like the hand of the king and the master of coins, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And they give you little bonuses to different uh, damages, or so, so you know you can draw gold or draw an extra card, uh, have extra power. It's very Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Um, you also, uh, if you're opposed to another one of those factions, then you also have the bonus of gaining uh, extra victory points if you attack them. So uh, there's a like a sub game there, and based on what you pick, you could be uh, targeted. So then you draw your cards, and uh, it starts to play like magic from there. You uh, you draw gold. Your each of your cards has like a gold um, uh, requirement. You place characters, you can attach items to those characters to bolster their stats or uh, different abilities. And then you get to an attack phase, which uh, you tap your cards, and then you tap defending your cards. And uh, you can do three types of attacks, because there's three basic statistics in the game. There's intrigue, power, and uh, uh, military. And depending on the type of attack you do... uh, People either have to discard characters, cards from their hand, or give you power points, which is how you actually win the game. The first player to 15 power uh, wins the game. And um, yeah, now, McMaster, so. does this does this work as a two-player head-to-head thing like Magic, or does it require more than two players? You can play anywhere from two to four. So uh, it actually changes kind of, uh, well, a good bit. Uh, with just two players, you would not use the uh, picking the figures from the middle. You would just It, it would play a lot more like Magic. Right. Um, so it's, it sounds like to really get the most richness out of it, you need at least, what, three, four players? Right. right. Three players, you use just about every piece. The only difference with three players is that there are six special titles, so you pick... Three, and then you set them aside for your next round, and you pick the last three before you reset the board entirely, which right. at the end of each round, you, of course, put your titles back and choose again, which is very Puerto Rico. Um, and uh, it's, now, uh, it's... I'm sorry, go ahead. They, they had a cool system with uh, the titles. So you say that you have the, the Game of Thrones board game, but you haven't been able to play it? Yeah, I mean, every time I try to get... I get grouped together to play it. It just kind of falls apart. So. so that's a that's a great game. I love how one of the challenges of a board game, and I think this can apply to uh, some card games too that have more than two players, is you should always have every player giving them. You should always give every player something to do. You know, you should never have right. this round robin. Oh, it's that guy's turn. I'm just biding time until my turn. And I think the system in the the Game of Thrones board game is amazing at that of always giving every player some input, something to think about, something to do. Uh, and what they do with their titles there is they have a really cool bidding game for bidding for the different titles, which each gives you a specific power. Uh, is there anything like that? So it's, it sounds like there's something like that with these titles you mentioned in the card game. Right. Uh, basically, you have uh, a, a statistic for initiative on uh, your plot card, plus um, some uh, specific cards will give you initiative. And whoever wins the initiative at the beginning of a round gets to choose who goes first. It doesn't mean they go first, but it just they get to choose. So, right. uh, And at that point, you know, first choice is pretty nice when it comes to that, but you may not want to go first in the subsequent round. But the inter- one of the interesting things about the Game of Thrones uh, card game is that most of it is not uh, round-based. Uh, only playing cards and then your attacks are round-based. Otherwise, the game is played um, simultaneously. 
so it doesn't uh, suffer from the whole, you know, everybody has to watch you tap and untap and do everything like that. You know, you're kind of just all playing at the same time. Right. So uh, it, it goes, the the actual uh, game itself goes pretty quickly. Um, it, once you start uh, actually uh, getting the hang of it. Now, have you been able to play much with your, your friends who are too, too big a sissies to play the board game? Um, actually, no. I've been playing, since the, since it's like a three-player game, uh, I've been playing with a friend of mine and, uh, and my wife. And uh, we've, uh, yeah, we've played a couple of games so far, and uh, I really gravi- enjoy it. Do you gravitate to one ho- house or another? Uh, so far, uh, I've, uh, I've played Lannister. Um, and uh, That's the ones with the, with the midget, right? Right, right, um, and uh, they're they're interesting. Like they have a card. They have uh, for people familiar with magic, uh, they have cards that that tap other cards, like, like icy manipulators, which is a card that you would pay one mana for, and you could tap someone's card, making it unusable. Um, and they they have cards also like what was a royal assassin, which is a card that you tap to kill another card of a certain uh, actually in magic another tapped card. But that, that sounds very Lannistery. Yeah, it's all like behind the scenes stuff. Uh, one of my favorite um, and they they have these cards uh, event cards that you can play at certain phases. They're like response cards. They're like instants in magic um, where you can just throw them out whenever uh, as long as it meets a certain condition. Um, and uh, one of my favorite ones so far is uh, a Lannister always pays his debts. And uh, <laughs> after a combat, uh, if you use that card and tap one of your like uh, like untapped characters, you can kill one of the other player's characters that was in the combat. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know, you may have won the combat, but afterwards you go and kill one of the people that did it. Uh, kind of a backstabbing thing. It's it, it's uh, all of the the decks have uh, different kind of interesting themes. Um, but the Starks, you pull like it's almost like a small creature deck in a way, um, and they have all these weird rules. Like if uh, Rob Stark is out, you can p- play his Dire Wolf card for free. And stuff like that. So it's just like uh, you throw a lot of like characters out with that deck. So McMaster, uh, when we had Chris Gardner on, he talked a bit about the Lord of the Rings cooperative uh, card game, which is very intriguing. Uh, but it sounds like it would be a money sink once I got into it. So right. just as uh, Jeff was asking how much would it cost for Darkness 2, how much am I going to lay out if I really get into the Game of Thrones LCG to get a nice set of cards? Well, that depends. Like the base set comes with four decks that are playable, um, like they are. And of course, if you wanted to, and you're only going to have like two people playing, you could combine all the cards and do, you know, two pretty decent decks out of that. Um, now, the two house decks I purchased are, are two house box sets. It comes with like. I want to say 220 cards or something like that, or maybe 180 cards. I think it's 180 cards or something like that, um, where it's three of each card possible for that house. Um, and those are like 30 bucks a piece. The base game is like 40 mm-hmm. um, So I've spent uh, 100 bucks and got, I don't know, maybe something like, I don't know, 600 cards. So as far as this week's games of the week, it sounds like the best value proposition is Jeff Atwood's pick, which is being on Court of the Free, which is actually free to play. 
Free to it play is. in the last 10 years. Free to play, yeah, no subscription fee. Uh, no micropayments either. A lifetime of fun talking about games. It's more fun than the actual <laughs> games, I swear. Uh, Jeff Atwood, do you get a chance to play board games much with the two baby girls in the house? Oh, gosh. You know, I have to admit, I'm not much of a board games guy. And before I actually have to go, but before I, I do, I wanted to mention two things that, that I should have mentioned earlier in our previous discussion. But one thing that I... That I that, really resonated with me that you said to me once was with people that have been around a long time on quarter to three mm-hmm. the way you expressed it was i expect you guys to be leaders in the community of, of the type of behavior that we want on the site you know mm-hmm. you should be showing the new people uh the way we do things around here and you know how we're you're nice to each other and we, we make interest you know whatever it is that we're doing do it correctly right mm-hmm. <laughs> don't be examples of bad behavior and i really took that to heart that really bothered me actually when you said that to me and i was like you're right like and this was one of the philosophies of of stack overflow and stack exchange was as you get more invested in the site you're a leader you're the 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 guys and gals that have been around the longest you should be showing people the way you know the culture of the site right the culture of the site is you know sane and not you know uh hateful sure <laughs> sure right, right. and the other thing you said that, that I liked a lot was about um, griefing. Basically, just if you won't let an issue go, like that is a problem, right? Like at some point, you move on, right? Like, okay, we agree to disagree, whatever. Don't bring it up on every thread. Don't <laughs> constantly remind us. And I know I've been guilty of this, and that bothered me too, right? It was like the Far Cry 2 thing where I was like, I couldn't let it go. Uh, <laughs> So I thought this was really good advice, and this is advice over like the ten years that we've been doing this stuff, right? Like it's, I don't know. It's it, in some ways you do hope we can prevent the the, the new young bloods from making these dumb mistakes that, right, that we right. kind of made, and it it takes the rest of your life to figure this crap out, apparently. <laughs> well, thank you for mentioning those. I mean, I, I uh, that, that's very cool that uh, that that you that you called that out. I, I do appreciate that. Uh-huh. Well, uh, you know what? So let, it is my go. favorite game, Tom. I, and I, and not just of the week. It sounds like it sounds like you would. This transcends just a game. It's not just a flavor of the month kind of thing. No, no. Uh, you, top five after. all time, baby. <laughs> awesome. Uh, <laughs> maybe one day we'll we'll find out what those other four are, and maybe there's room in there for Far Cry Two. And if not that, maybe Darkness <laughs> Two. We'll see. Yeah. No, I'm definitely uh, going to buy Darkness Two. So I'm going to be I'm going to be gunning for you, chick. If this doesn't work out, I cannot wait to hear whether or not it works for you. I'm uh, going to reinvent the grudge. Japanese let's, style. Let's do it. You're the little. So b- before we go, uh, because McMaster was talking about uh, the titles in the Lord of the Rings, or Lord of the Rings, uh, the Game of Thrones card game, uh, I just wanted to hand out a couple of honorary titles on this podcast. I've been playing Crusader Kings 2, and one of the things you do with your vassals in Crusader Kings 2 is you can give them honorary titles. So before we go, I just had a couple of them to hand out. Uh, since I don't know what a Siniscal is. We're not going to do that one. Nobody gets to be that. So, uh, Jeff Atwood, you are the Master of Cups. Oh, oh nice. Now, do That's you know a what that tarot card as well, isn't it? Well, in this instance, it means you have to drink all the wine before I taste it to see if it's poisoned. Sorry. <laughs> Let's hope nobody's gunning for me for my opinion of Far Cry 2, and you'll be fine. What fresh hell am I set for? McMaster, I don't know what this is, but I think it's perfect for you. You are the Master of Swans. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that does sound like me, dude. This is totally a tarot card, just for the record. Master of Cups. 
Oh, no, I don't yeah. doubt it. But it's also something in Crusader Kings that you can designate when you're vassals. Or any, I don't know it has to be a vassal. Anybody. You can say, hey, you're a Master of Cups, and they like you more for the most part, even though you're tasting their drinks to see if they're poisoned. I'm not sure how that works. Yes. Uh, McMaster, I don't know what Master of Swans does, but... Uh, I taste your swans. <laughs> That's making me very uncomfortable, the way you said that. <laughs> So let's uh, call it a night. So, Jeff, thank you so much for hanging out. Uh, it was really yeah. cool to finally get to talk to you in person. I've known you for 10 freaking years, and uh, now I know what you sound like. One of these That's days, right. I might even find out what you look like. We'll see. Uh, right. Come hang out with us at GDC and bring bring all three kids. Tom, Jake, I'm coming over right now. <laughs> awesome, because we're going to play board games tonight, and I'm sure that'll be right up your alley. <laughs> Uh, so, all right. Uh, I thank everyone listening. Join us next week. Uh, McMaster, I don't know. Do you know offhand who's here next week? Offhand? Well, I don't know. I, for, I forgot to look that up. I think it is. Do you know? You know what? Yeah. Oh, you do know. I do know if you give me one second because my stupid calendar won't open. While McMaster looks it up, uh, please join us next week. Please uh, like us on iTunes. We love ah. that. Like us on Facebook. Uh, and it's soupy it's, sales, isn't it? Oh, I would it's love you. Actually, isn't he dead? That's gross. He is unfortunately dead, but that shouldn't stop him from me on the podcast. <laughs> uh, we'll get, uh, we'll get, uh, what's that? Uh, Jonathan Winters, or if soupy sales can't make it, one of those two. Uh, Next week is Dave Markell. Dave Markell, yes, boy. Speaking of Lord of the Rings, there's a guy who knows his Lord of the Rings. We're gonna we're gonna have a very special Lord of the Rings quiz to see just how much he knows next week. Uh, so join us for that again, Jeff. Thank you so much, uh, and we will be seeing you around on your favorite game, uh, the Quarter to Three Forum. That's right. Bye, guys. Right.